XM 105, Sirius 206, the Opie and Anthony Channel. The Ron and Fez Show starts right now. Okay, let's get down to it, boppers.
Our buddies. It's the Ron Fez Show. Uh, live. On what science now calls a Thursday. Thirsty Thursdays, Ron. How come you didn't come to the open bar with me last night? I just didn't think I could get into the open bar. You come with Ronnie B., you get in. That's a new thing you should be focusing on. It's, it sounds like it's that's the fucking way to be. Fucking open bar at these goddamn yeah, screenings. it's an open bar, and I'm like this. Yeah, do you have a water? Sorry, no, I not a club that. soda. That'll just get me started. <laughs> a club soda is temptation. <laughs> Uh, of course, the big story, uh, a couple of show business deaths. Uh, Dick Clark. Gigantic. Was that gigantic for you? Did, did I, think it hurt? For the, I mean, I've watched him for New Year's. I never saw American Bandstand or whatever. But. See, I come from a different background. I was raised to hate Dick Clark because he had moved American Bandstand from Philly to L.A. So people kind of acted like he was a fucking prick. Where I grew up, they're like, you used to be great. You fucking missed it, dude. Band in Philly. <laughs> you could always go there and bandstand it out. That's why Jerry Blavitt's a million times better than him. Believe me when I tell you this. Everyone will forget about Dick Clark, and everyone will remember the Gator with the heater, the big boss with the hot sauce, Jerry Blavitt. And that's why Jerry Blavitt is a much bigger name today, because he stayed in Philadelphia. And that's why people all over the world know the name Jerry Blavitt, and no one knows the name Dick Clark. Instead of Dick. Uh, when, we, um, when we put up the uh, Talking Head stuff uh, on the iBang, we'll put up the Dick Clark uh, with the Talking Heads. Back when he was younger, it was American Bandstand. What you missed. I missed it. And you can see the awkwardness of Dick Clark talking to them. (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, the men at work uh, flute player, or flautist, a word that I really try never to use, uh, died. And one of Fez's worst kind of deaths, the death where... Hey, have you heard from that dude? Let's go over his house. Uh, uh, no, he's not home, so they leave. A couple days later, someone else checks on, knocking the door. Finally, after you know a week or so, they kick the door open. There's Watley and his cat. Just cat's just munching away. Yeah. On my bloated body. And that's a, that's a huge paranoid feeling for you. Yeah. If I even start to get like a twinge of something in my chest, sometimes I will head to the door because I'm like, maybe it would be better on the street where there would be people around instead of I just collapse. Why don't we get you one of those alert buttons like the old ladies have where you just alert yourself? Yeah. I think I would be pushing it all the time. Why don't you just make a friend with someone in your building? I know that that sounds crazy. (laughs) But you've seen Mary Tyler Moore reruns. You tend to know people in your building. A neighbor friend. Come on, you all live together. Just know somebody. Party with Or get used to the fact that you may lay there for a week. Because I guarantee you, if me and Hicks see that you didn't show up one day, we'll just be relieved. After a a week, that's not going to be an open casket. Uh, Did you want an open casket? Well, I thought maybe open casket for like a memorial thing, Who, but then uh, uh, you know, like a. How ancient are you when you start to plan your funeral? 
When you're sitting around thinking, this is the way my funeral should go. You should get a clear casket like uh, they put like famous people in sometimes, which is a clear box. I've already written your speech where I, um, I call it, he's not really dead because he never lived. That's all I have so far. Okay, it's a start. Then I wanted to tell the farting himself awake story. Uh, I have Must another, you? another piece called Panic in the Elevator. And then finally, he died a virgin. Wow, this is going to be a funny fucking funeral. I don't think I don't know if people are going to believe some of this. And then I want to do like a couple of games where people throw lawn darts at you while you lay, put it in the box. Will there be prizes? <laughs> the prizes if you hit them. <laughs> the prize is just bragging about hitting them. Guess what I did today? Uh, Time, Time Magazine does their one hundred. Biggest people in the media, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, most influential. Thank you. Because I don't like to read these things, but I like to know that they're out there and they're happening. Uh, it's all up on the iBank today. And for the first time since it started, no Oprah. Yep, she got the shaft. Because she started that stupid fucking network. This thing is dragging her down into it the is. depths of fucking just no one gives a shit anymore, Oprah. You know why you were fucking famous? Network. <laughs> yes. Because this cable network, this cable network is fucking you over, sucking all your money away, and no one gives a shit. It, I don't even know where it is. I, I, I think from uh, it might be one of the old Discovery channels, which I didn't watch in the first place. So I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what's on the fucking channel. No, this is going to make Carter cry again, but she made a giant mistake because everything that she was successful for came from that 4 o'clock in the afternoon show. Then you could say, I have a, TV, I have a, uh, a magazine, and it's getting free advertising, and it's great, and all it is. But when she said, I'm going to start a TV network, the last thing I need to do is do this fucking show every day. Oh, she, what could, she did an hour a day. What could be fucking easier? And, what are you tired? And she had a lot of time off. I think, like, there of course was, she did. It fucking, she could still be doing it because she's not on her fucking own network, right? Well, first of all, before you even get into her vacations, she had twenty three hours a day off. <laughs> just walks in. Well, I, well, according to that, like fucking behind the scenes thing, she kind of just hung out in her office a lot with that blonde lady. Yeah, yes, because that's like you. In your apartment. It's fucking great <laughs> to show up at your office, right? Yeah. You got nothing to do except for you're going to be talking to Tom Hanks at four. <laughs> Life is good. And for less than an hour because it's fucking commercials and shit. So Man, like she gets fucking... to take a little fucking break, have a power bar. Yeah, like 42 minutes, really. All right, this is what Liz said, said fire put up there. Uh, just simply, Nopra. Oh. Nopra. <sighs> Rihanna's on this list. Lynn Sanity's on this list. And oh, Jesus. <laughs> fucking Jeremy Lynn. He's very influential. Yeah, I guess, for fucking Achilles repair. <laughs> Two fucking weeks, he was hot. And then and it just destroys <laughs> Oprah's entire fucking career in media. You should be her fucking agent, dude. She, <laughs> You know somebody was saying to her, dude, it's an hour a day. Just stay. What? It's more money. Come on. We don't know if this fucking goddamn network's going to work. Oh, oh. You can't. Oh, they just call her O? Yeah, I'll call her O. Okay. The anonymous fucking hacker group made it and fucking Oprah didn't. She's going to start hacking some people. Yes. Jesus. 
I can't wait till Insanity does a reality show with fucking T-Bowing. Just all of them together. <laughs> we love God and sports. <laughs> we Let's love do it, guys. Two dudes that love God and sports. <laughs> and we both play in New York. All right, this to me, uh, this is my new favorite thing. And um, I think Dan just came up with this. He found it online. It's up on the iBank today. This British woman basically wrote um, an article that has infuriated everybody. Is women hate me because I'm a beautiful woman. And the problem with it is they have pictures of her. And now everybody is yelling... You're not so beautiful. Uh, I mean, she's not like a fucking monster. No, but... no, you're right. She is not a monster. But... And her looks never would have came up unless she called herself beautiful. Yeah. And now they're fucking raining shit on her. And how people just are attacking her left and right in the fucking street. How she, oh my God, she's too hot. What a fucking cunt. And her response to that now is, see... What did I tell you? Look at these fucking people. <laughs> this broad's fucking shot. They won't get off my dick. <laughs> wow. This lady's great. Now, here's the problem, though. We all tell people, you have to love yourself. You have to believe that you're beautiful. Mm-hmm, that's where it And all then starts. when someone does it, we just fucking rip them a brand new asshole. That's like the worst fucking thing yes. you can say. Like, yeah, right. I'm the shit, and you don't like it, do you? <laughs> Fuck you. See, everybody hates that, but then look how we get mad at Fez when he's like, no one will ever like me because I'm a hideous pig. And then we have to spend our time going, you're a good-looking guy. You are. He is, though. You're a good-looking guy. <laughs> don't say that about yourself. Right. And it, they're, We don't like either fucking statement. What we like, I guess, is for people to shut their fucking traps. Yeah, just be stoic and just don't accept criticism or Keep fucking your compliments. You are right. <laughs> you are right with that, dude. Don't accept a compliment from anyone. Don't accept a criticism from anyone. That's right. Fuck it. You're great. No, I'm not. You know what? You suck. Fuck you. <laughs> now, Fez, when you hear a person make a statement like this, do you judge or do you just go, well, that's what we tell people to do. I judge in the fact of where is that coming from? I don't have I tell half you. of that confidence. Okay, I will tell you. She said this. Her dad, she was a daddy's girl. Daddy loved her so much. Told her she was beautiful every day. And she's like, I am beautiful. My father, who's the most important person to me. Uh, we have this really uncomfortable fucking... Creepy. Yeah, borderline. borderline. <laughs> Just a borderline. <laughs> this is my borderline dad. I mean, you know, some someday something might happen. Right. Uh, so that's where she gets it from. Her dad gave her this confidence. And now she repeats it. And everyone gets mad because, like you, most of us don't get told that. Right, yeah. He should have told her, honey, you're beautiful. But let's keep that between you and me. But why? What is wrong with even the statement? That I'm beautiful. What is wrong with a person saying that? There isn't anything wrong with it, but as human beings, like at the, at the base of it, it's like, yeah, I'm beautiful, okay? But then people want to judge them, though. Because yeah. if, if, if in their eyes they're not beautiful, like that guy's still going to think that person's a fucking moron. Where do they get off saying they're beautiful? Because don't you think that she 
probably has had more success in life because she believes this than a person. Yeah, that she could walk into an interview and be like, their dicks are going to drop off <laughs> once I lay these ass in this seat and these titties bounce as I sit down. God, I'm just surrounded by hard cock all day long. <laughs> who's it's... the lucky one who's going to get me jerk them off? <laughs> See, that's the fucking truth, though. That's the person who, I mean, wouldn't that be a better way of going through life than those fucking friends that you know? You know, those girls that are in the corner and they're wearing a fucking pull, like, I better put a sweater on because I'm so hideous uh, and everyone's looking at look I can't at me. stand to be around those fucking people either. Don't look at me. I'm horrible. Some fucking broad you got to talk out of a bathroom because she thinks her eyebrows got fucking ruined. Baby, the fucking eyebrows. I can't. I would. I think I'd rather be with somebody who in their fucking head is that obnoxious that they think they're fucking gorgeous. God, you're so lucky I suck your cock. You'll never get someone else like me. All right, me. it's the Ron and Fez Show, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. All this stuff is up on the uh, iBank today, and uh, plenty more to get to. Uh, the woman is beautiful, and let's face it, you can't... Well, look, how would you like to be a guy like this? He goes through the name, he calls himself Handsome Johnny Tubestakes. Now, that. with a name like that... For us, it might be a little bit of a turnoff, but he's a confident young man. Yeah, he'll slay. He'll pick up all the pussy. Fucking tube stick style. Fucking handsome's in his name. He calls himself, <laughs> and he goes like this to me sometimes. I'll just go, just call me handsome. Come on. This, he, yeah, why, why aren't you British? Mr. Tubestakes is my father, and he's doing 30 to life. Call me handsome Johnny. Why, why, what'd he do? His father did some fucking crazy shit. Jesus. You hadn't heard? No, I didn't know his fucking dad's doing serious time. His like dad that. was a shop teacher, and it was the first school shooting in America. His dad was that dude. What the fuck, Tubestakes? They said the whole time he was shooting, he just kept yelling, finish your end tables. Finish your fucking oh. end tables. Because a lot of kids won't. You remember how it was in shop class? You tried to turn every lamp into a bong. Well, yeah, having a fucking, you want to have a cool bong. I had a fucking shop teacher scream at me. Why would anyone want to smoke out of a lamp? That's, and I said to him, I don't even want to put the electrical shit in there. That's going to just make it worse. That guy was out of touch. It's a glass lamp that has no light bulb, but you can smoke out of it. Perfect. I'm like, dude, give me a fucking D. I don't care what you think of it. <laughs> My friends think it's awesome. It sounds awesome. Fucking lamp bong. Make everything else out of bongs these days. Handsome Johnny Toopsticks. I wonder if he ever visits his dad in prison. It's too dramatic. Too Fezzy, what do you give yourself, scale 1 to 10? Oh, I would say a 5. Why are you going so high? Because I was trying to be a little kind to myself. Mm, but with kidding. this half mustache and everything. I don't want to talk about yeah. that. I was only, you're, you've got a whole mustache. Shit. But see, this is even... see, this is the thing. Yes, he's got a little, he's whiter on one side. I didn't even notice that until he said And he thinks everybody does. <laughs> what? Now, here's the thing. But he will get it around to talking about his looks. But those people who say that they're ugly or they're not interested, uh-huh. that's so that you will try to pump them up. They're fishing. So what I do is just go, yeah, that mustache. Everybody talks about it when you go to take a piss. Yeah, it's like, oh, my God, the two-tone mustache just left. 
Where's he going? Off to get a half and half for himself? <laughs> hey, where did Zenface just go? God, I'm glad he's gone. That's the thing. No one gives a fuck about anybody else. Everybody in America is so fucking busy looking into a mirror that they don't give a shit what anybody else looks like. Oh, no, because, you know, everyone wants to get on a reality TV show, too. Right. They would try to like cultivate some weird look. So the reality of it is, if you just find some fucking comfort in yourself, the world is your oyster. You don't give a fuck. It's a delicious oyster. You just swallow that shit up. Yes. There's some fucking horseradish in that motherfucker. Yes, the whole way that you yeah, eat oysters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want some Tabasco? Go ahead. Okay. It's right there. All right. Taste. And I don't know why everyone's calling this fucking woman so ugly. She's, she's like a normal looking woman. <laughs> she could easily, like, if they do a, 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 a version of Elephant Man with women. <laughs> yeah, this, this. this she's look. very slouchy. So what? Slouch. Yeah, she's standing up straight there. And Look at her. Like, nice fucking round shoulders. Yeah. Good thick back on her. Her dad fucking digs her. Oh, yeah. Way deep. He digs her. There you go. She's sitting all sexy on that fucking painter's couch or some shit. I think she looks like a melted candle. She looks fantastic. <laughs> fucking hair looks like a brush fire. There she's in the woods with some sort of, I don't know. If that's her father. Yeah, that's dad fucking taking her back into the woods again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something fucked up's going on. You just don't see him in, next to her in the wedding picture. Um, Stan, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ron, how you doing? Yeah. Um, remember that scene in um, Seinfeld where Lane gets complimented by the doctor and he says she's breathtaking, but then he says the same compliment to the ugly baby? <laughs> you're like, hmm. Moyle. Whatever, it's just a fucking TV show. Explains everything, though. It's like this exact thing. <laughs> I like to say all babies are ugly. I don't really. I don't like babies. They all look like catcher's mitts to me. Mm. No thanks. I don't even like looking at them or being around them. What I like to do is put a ball in them, then wrap tape around them and sleep with them under my pillow. So I get it nice and fucking worked in. All right, see, that would probably kill the baby. I wonder if kids sit around and work on their gloves like, you know, years ago, where you're just fucking constantly oiling your glove and trying to get it fucking perfect. I bet it's less, a lot less than it used to be. Yeah, because I see a lot of kids going on there with brand new hard gloves. Yeah, what the fuck are you going like, to do with that yeah, thing? We're all getting a trophy anyway. What do I care? Oh, that thing's got to be loosey-goosey. You're fucking right there, dude. That thing's got to be fucking slick. <sighs> Crazy fucking babies. Um, it is the Renafez show. The all right. This is another thing that's uh, interesting. It's up on the iBank today. Uh, it was an advertisement for a, I guess that went out in the trades. Uh, when they did the Jerry Seinfeld Super Bowl uh, thing. And they asked for a not-too-dark black actor. Uh, offensive? Not offensive, Fez. I think it's offensive. On what level? Of What was the company, Chris? Acura. Oh, Acura. And they're just trying to be accurate. They wanted a black actor. Uh-huh. Right? But they didn't want him too dark. 
It's their vision for their fucking commercial. I see a light-skinned black person in this role. That's that's you know that's just how I feel. It should be. Now some fucking dude went in there. He was just African black, and he wanted you know he tried out for the role, and then he finds out he didn't even have a fucking chance. Oh, back to selling bags on fifth. Do Avenue. you see this like Fez offensive? I don't know. I'm, no, I, I really do. It's their, it's their fucking. What, what do you vision. see about it that's offensive, Fez? Because I think they're already asking for an African American actor, but then they're showing that they really don't want that. If, like, they're trying to cover themselves. I don't understand what the what the point is. If you go back to what Chris says, and they say they have a, spe- a specific vision, right? Mm-hmm. How is that any different than any other specific vision? If you showed up. For a part, you're like, I'd be fucking perfect for this. And they go, but we're looking for somebody six foot or over. So you don't get the part. Well, let me even make it closer. They were looking for somebody five, five or over. And, of course, you come in way underneath. Right. This kind of shit happens to actors all the time. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to be offended by anything, it would be saying that you wanted any of the actors to be black. Why, if you have a role, does anything have to specify whether it's black, Asian, Mexican, blah, blah, blah. Once you go, but we do want that, you know. But early on, by even saying we want a black actor in this part, that would, I would guess, would be the part that you could start and say why. Not once you get to black, you know, because you don't have no problem with them saying we want a very thin person or a heavy set person. Well, if you're fucking showing up and you're 250 and you're like, yeah, and they're going, mm, no, we were looking for somebody much better body than you. That's the fucking problem with being an actor. So beat it. Um, and this part was just car salesman. But what's the difference? Once you're getting, sp- if it's if it's just a car salesman, why does it matter who it is? You know? Well, because they had whatever their vision is early on. And that's the thing. So now you have to get into this. Um, is it fucking make any sense at all ever to say that you're looking for a specific type in any role? And then you now, now you're fucked. Um, let's go over to Mark. Mark, you're on the run of Fez show. Hey, buddies. Would uh, Debbie Downer be offended if they asked for somebody with a tan or blonde hair? What's the difference? I think I think the word I think the word dark comes across as offensive. How can it be dark? I have a dark tan. Does that make me offensive? You might have a heavy tan, but I think when you're talking about African American oh, so people, heavy, I'm heavy. So I find the word heavy offensive. I think when you're talking about African American people, dark is a more sensitive term. Why? But why is that more sensitive? That's the fucking problem there. Because, like the guy said, if he's fucking fat. He's going to be offended if they go, we want a thinner person here. You know what I mean? I'm sure if you stood in line all day to get a fucking part, only be, be told we were looking for a bone rack, you'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? Fuck me. I'm now, going to my lawyer. The other thing with the fucking actor is, would he have been offended if they say, we're looking for a heavily dark person for this fucking role? <laughs> That would be just as bad, I'd say. That, I think he would. Worse. If, if he was the heavily dark person, he'd be like, yeah, let's get those fucking mulattoes out of here and let's start fucking acting. <laughs> like, everybody only gets offended when it happens to them. When they're excluded, when they're fucked. Right. Um, 
Let's go over here to uh, Mike in D.C. You're on Fez. Hey, Fez. Um, it's interesting you call yourself a five. I was wondering if you could name, like, three other fives, just for comparison purposes. Um, I would say, like, Paul Giamatti is a five. You think you're as attractive as Paul Giamatti? I would say, yes, I'm as attractive as he is. Wow. I've met Paul Giamatti, and that man's stunning. He's breathtaking. Look at this guy. Yeah. Look at that. He's a looker. Give me another five. Uh, another five would be... Um, let me think real quick. Uh, let's go over to Matt Jack. Matt Jack, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, Ronnie, you're right on with that as far as the difference between the, if, you, if you ask for a shorter guy or a taller guy versus a, a black, light-skinned, dark-skinned. The truth is there is no difference except the perception and the political climate. There is no difference between, between uh, uh, those two things. Yeah, I think that you would only get into the thing of why act like any actor should look like anything once he shows up, you know? I mean, if you showed up for a place, if you're a black dude, and they said, we're looking for a black police captain, you should be like, why? Why are we looking for a black police captain? Well, because we want to offset the fact that we got a black guy who's going to be smoking crack and shooting up a fucking bank later. You know, that's why they do these type of things. What they, wanted, what they basically were trying to say is that we want a black guy who acts like he's white. That's what the part called for you know what i mean uh -huh. one of those guys who is kind of living the stereotypical fucking white yuppie life but he's a black guy but i guess you can't go and say that um let's go over to chris chris you're on the run of fest show hey what's going on ronnie yeah um the reason they wanted a light-skinned black guy is because um the lighting for the scene really um, it was a white background. Trying to balance a light background against a dark subject is difficult, especially when you get another white, you know, another light subject in the scene. So that that's really the only reason why they didn't want a dark subject because just lighting is terrible. It's really tough to go, you know, the shadows in the face want a darker person. It's it's a photography thing, really. Well, that's kind of ridiculous because you could, there's black people and you have all kinds of I don't even know if this is a politically correct word shades. Oh my god. On TV and Oh in my god. I won't put up with that. As a matter of fact, tell Rob Cross, yeah. one of us has got to go. He's okay. acting like a black man can't be photographed. No, no but he's no, saying in, in terms of lighting, background. the lighting changes. It's the white background that they were shooting on in the commercial. To the white, like if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm and you see what is it, J.B. Smooth and uh, yeah. Larry David, those scenes are always lit pretty terribly. If you just, I mean, from a like a actual photography standpoint, they're lit terribly because it's just to get the shadows and David, Larry David in the same shot, it, they have to compromise a bit. But because it's a TV show and J.B. Smooth is really funny, they, that doesn't matter as much. With a commercial, they want it you know, shot correctly, and you can't, you can't get the details in the shadow as well when you have a then light the, subject. Lighting light is, I don't, I don't even begin to understand lighting, other than know that any time that I'm around TV or anything, I fucking hate it, because it takes forever. You try to do one of those 30-second commercials, and you're there all day, and they're like, What's going on? We're working on the lighting. Why? Well, What's like, wrong with the lighting? God provide it with this electricity. <laughs>
if you see the night shoots here in New York, they just have giant fucking goddamn light arrays. Dude, they do that in the daytime. In the daytime, there's still giant lights. <laughs> and I'm always, when I walk by them, I'm like, how do these actors not just squint through every fucking movie? Or just fucking burn the fuck if up. You're in a movie, you're going like this, I'm sorry, I can't fucking see shit. There's a giant light in my face right now. It's hot. Um, let's go over here to uh, Sean. Sean, you're on the Running Face Show. Sean. All right, let's go over to Derek. Derek, you're on Running Face. Hey, guys. I just wanted to see if you guys have seen that ad for the, the Honda Pilot with the little uh, token black kid sitting in the back and the white family going on vacation. It looks like they kidnapped the little black kid in the back. Yeah, I don't know whether a lot of times in those commercial families, I guess they want to make it sure, like, that black people go, like, well, we're black. This, oh, wait, there is a black kid in this, so we will get this car. But I think what they're trying to say is <laughs> we have friends or we adopt. We're a multi-ethnic <laughs> accepting family. We're diverse. Now, is that uh, a, a form of racism? To say we're diverse? Or does it even matter who the fucking kids are? No, I don't think it matters who the kids are. So it doesn't matter. If there was a film and there were like two white parents and uh, a black kid. And they don't make a big deal about the kid being adopted. Does that throw people out of the movie? It it shouldn't. Could, Could you watch a movie, let's say it was a JFK story and there was a black actor in it? Yeah, I could do that. I'm just doing that because we've had the exact opposite conversation, not only uh, before on the show, and he went in the other direction. Because yeah. when we're doing, when there's a bio coming out, there's always a thing where Fez goes, "Why are they booking that person? He doesn't even look like the yeah. man that he's based on." Yeah. And I'm always of the thing is, no matter what happens to you in a movie, particularly when there's stars in the movie, you go in. There's Tom Cruise, and if the movie works, you forget that. If it doesn't work, you're like, look at Tom Cruise. He's fucking running around like a lunatic. He's killing it, yo. Um, John, you're on the Run of Fish show. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Just, uh, that was about four or five years ago. I'm a voice actor, and I got, uh, I auditioned for a part, and they told me, uh, we're actually looking for a minority voice. And, uh, I got passed over because of that. It was down to two of us, and they said, Nope, sorry, we need a minority voice. Why don't you learn some minority voices? Come on. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know what a minority voice is. Hey, are. motherfucker! What's you, what you doing? What's you doing? It's easy. I'll do it. Come Give them on. my fucking number. I'll be down there in a heartbeat. All right, this got started because this uh, company... Uh, in trouble. And I don't think the car company was behind this. I think it was the people that they hired to do the commercial. The casting agency. Yeah, the casting agency uh, came up with the fact that we want a, uh, a not-too-dark black person. They actually probably went out of their ways not to say lighter skin. And uh, Fez, uh, and of course people are offended by it. Fez says it's offensive, but can't under- but when you can't explain why that's offensive and not we want a blonde girl 20 to 26 years old to play the receptionist rather than a 48-year-old gray-haired girl. What's the fucking difference? You know, what is the big deal here? 
Now, in the light skin thing, I look up on the eye bang, and Cigars and Scotch says the reason why they asked for the lighter skin black person is because they wanted to start on time. Now, I find that highly offensive. But I also find it offensive what Fez has done, which is just flipped the script from what he said before, only because this is about a black person. I really think that the offensive part is, do you ever need to specifically say who's in your commercial? That's the part where we have to decide whether we're ever offended by that or we're not offended, and that person has the right to put the physical types in the to his commercial that he wants to. And if you believe that's true, then um, why do we ever fucking worry about it, you know? Why do we ever think that it's a fucking problem, no matter who they put it as? I remember when they first started putting black presidents in movies. And then once it happened, it started happening a lot. Fifth Element, Deep yeah. Impact. I think Morgan Friedman was the first, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> but we actually got to the fucking uh, point uh, where just about anybody could be the black president. And then we got a black president. That was the weirdest thing about it. <laughs> like people went from the what? You know it's the future. So now you can't even do that fucking joke anymore. Um, oh, the first movie portrayal of a black American president was probably Sammy Davis Jr. and Rufus Jones for president. I don't even remember that. Oh, no, yeah. Now, here's the thing, Fez. Suppose you don't say what you're looking for, right? Uh huh. You just keep it in your head. Right. And you said, we're going to look for whatever. But in my head, I'm like, I want a five foot four, 300 pound guy. That's how I see the comedy working. That this is a roly poly little guy, and I'm really going to make it funny. Why am I wasting everybody else's time by having them show up? Why am I making them think they have fucking opportunity? Why not put out the fucking thing of this is exactly what we're looking for? I mean, now makes sense. Yeah. Um. Let's go over here to Rich. Rich, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, I, I, I'm going to butcher this. I know I am. But the, the, the phrase discriminating, right? So you have discriminating tastes of women and food and stuff like that. I, I think that what Fez is trying to say, and I appreciate where he's coming from, but when we start discriminating and say, well, I'm worried about what I'm going to say here, then we start accepting anything, right? So you say, I put out a, uh, a thing, I need a certain type of actor, and then two, two dogs show up. Well, you say, well, I don't want to discriminate against this whole thing, so i got to take these dogs. Fez, Fez is going to lower the quality of everything we do if he's going to argue against every one of these things because he thinks that someone is being slighted. Discriminating can be a good thing. Well, oddly, we're all slighted whenever we show up for any job interview, but actors have it even fucking worse. Because you could be the best actor in the fucking world but not right for that particular part, period. You know what I mean? You could be a great fucking actor, but nobody sees you as the romantic lead. Yeah, if you don't period. fucking look what yeah. they, they want. Or they know that it'll actually sell or people would like to look at. Or yes, that's, that's the weird thing. You sit and you like to look at people. You don't even know why there's some actors that you like. You know? You don't even know why it is. They just have a fucking relationship with a camera that other people don't. That's not a bad thing. That's just it's how it is sometimes. But is it is it a wrong thing for me to say, I've written a part, I've written a movie, and there is a great part 
for an Asian shop owner here. Is that discrimination? I, I don't think that's discrimination. Why not? I think it's when you start going inside with... But why would I set, get the, the chance to say, that's only good for an Asian? Even though nothing else plays into it, just my vision of it, you know? There's no fucking reason why that needs to be an Asian shop owner. You know, he's not selling anything that would make it come off that way. It could be anybody. How many times have you seen movies uh, in New York where they just, they go in and there's like an old Jewish couple working at the, yeah, at the thing. Why do they do that in a movie? Uh, I would think for authenticity, if they're trying to set the neighborhood. That's crazy. New York. That is fucking really offensive (laughs) because that's only a stereotypical thing that they're trying to set up. You know what I'm saying? Do you go to any fucking shop where there's old Jews running this thing in New York? No. And yet you just said that makes it authentic. To, To be the exact opposite of prejudice, you would sit there and go... Why every time that I'm watching a movie is this old Jewish guy fighting with his wife behind the cash register? And it happens constantly. Yet you live in New York and you don't see it. And you're saying, but that makes it authentic. All it makes it is shorthand for this fucking thing that maybe existed back in the 50s, but certainly doesn't exist now. No. It's so fucking crazy. So now we're going to be fucking, we will only get offended if, you know, it gets to be a specific kind of Jewish person. Like, in this case, it's not offensive that we're asking a black person to be uh, the car salesman in a stupid commercial that none of us can even remember anybody but Jerry Seinfeld. But it's a specific black person that fucking annoys people. Um, Here's uh, James in Cleveland. You're in Money Fez. Hey, Fez. Um, The movie School Days was based about light-skinned black people versus dark-skinned black people. Now, is it offensive for Spike Lee to go out and cash Tisha Campbell against uh, Lawrence Fishburne? Because they had to put out that casting call for... No, uh, I don't think so, if that's what the story why? is about. Why? Why? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Why? Because, why? because Spike Lee is doing it? No, because if that's what the, the script is, if that's the story he's telling of one uh, group of people against another one, and this is the crazy reason why they're doing it, then then I understand it. Well, okay, all right. Well, how is that any different in, in, this, in this case... What they were attempting to do is say an upwardly mobile black person is who they were looking for. And they don't view a dark-skinned black person that way. That's the fucking thing that we're eventually getting to. But the point is this. Why even bring up that the person even has to be black? There's no fucking reason to come up with upwardly mobile fucking black person doesn't fucking need it in a commercial they just wanted to make sure we have a black face in there and that's my point when you really want to get into where at what point does it specifically offend you i either think you're offended all the way in or not at all now if i was an actor 
I'd probably say every fucking part should be open to everybody, no matter who you are. But if I was a writer and had a fucking vision in my head, or a director and had a vision in my head, I might think completely differently because I don't give a fuck if these people are getting to express themselves and getting the chances. I just want my shit out there. Um, let's go over to um, Luke. Luke, you're on my face. Hey, what's going on? Uh, I forget the lady's name, but the one, the comedian who's in Glee, and she was also in 40-Year-Old Virgin, the older lady there. I guess uh, when she was trying out for 40-Year-Old Virgin, as a part of the manager, originally it was supposed to be a male, and there were all males reading for it. And when she walked up, she just she she was trying out for a different part, but she kind of went in and, and said, "Hey, you know, why don't you make this girl, and you can make the jokes like this and da da da." So I think sometimes it's it's the actors. Like if an actor can transcend things like that and say, "Hey, look, you know, I have an idea. You know, I'm talented. Why don't you take me?" I think sometimes, you know, the vision kind of goes oh, goes out the window because you got something better. Um, yeah, I'm, but again, that would be up to all the people involved. I don't know why the rest of us start thinking, we'll cast this film for you. As a matter of fact, I get fucking disgusted by people who think they can, you know, they're, they're going to hate a film or not fucking, or love a film, and it hasn't even fucking happened yet. Oh, people love making those fucking... Yeah, everyone judgments. wants to sit around and act like James Cameron really fucked this up because... <laughs> what do you know? Oh, they lo oh, and that shit was coming out in Avatar. People were tearing him apart. They're yeah. like, biggest flop ever. He's going to look like a dick. They did the same thing with Titanic yeah, until it was over. Yeah. Now the two biggest movies. Titanic, on this last thing, just went over $2 billion. <laughs> There's only two films that ever went over $2 billion, and they're both James Camerons. <laughs> and now, just see what his new gig's going to be? He wants to fly into space and uh, take uh, minerals off of asteroids. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think MIT was reporting it and saying that um, him and Google are going to make an announcement on the 24th that, yeah, they're going to fucking mine the asteroid belt. Here's my dream. I want the announcement to be made by Google, Cameron, and me. I want the three of us. Got it. You should be at that fucking press conference. And I want to get some wildcat fucking oil guys out there. Billy Bob Thornton, maybe. Who? Billy Bob Thornton. I was thinking someone much younger. Oh, come on. He's great. Wouldn't it be funny, like, every time you did a... If you were doing Fez's thing, every time you did a teen comedy, you had to look around at 80-year-old men. Okay, well, you sure did a great job. We'll let you know if we pick you. <laughs> Great job, binge drinking and Party! smoking weed. Party! I like getting fucked up. I love partying. Uh, coming up in a little bit, a handsome Johnny is going to try to knock Kate Upton off of her fucking throne. It's his never-ending fucking yeah, quest. Yeah, yesterday he was embarrassed with it. Yeah. Yesterday was the worst thing that ever happened to him. Tube stakes, Jesus. Other big news this is up on the iBang. Ziggy Marley says his dad, Bob, will not be a hologram. <laughs> Ziggy laying it down. Yeah, he's making it happen. I am not going to let my dad be a hologram. Not going to happen. And the Madden 13 cover. We're down to two people for this, Fez? Down to two people. Uh, Carolina quarterback Cam Newton. And Megatron from the Detroit Lions, Calvin Johnson. Oh, God. Two good picks. 
this was fan voting. This was like a yeah. tournament of fan voting. Why would anyone vote for their guy? Unless it's other teams voting for these people. Who oh, you're like. believing in the jinx? Yeah, I believe 100% in the jinx. I am fucking... Something terrible will happen to either fucking Calvin Johnson or Cam Newton. I'm going to fucking guess if I have more towards right. Calvin Johnson will get fucked up. Let me just ask you this. Yeah. I, I always like to ask you or any kind of voodoo fucking island people. <laughs> I mean... Santeria. Who, who is... It is. You're basically saying Santeria is real. Who would be, hi, be behind this happening? Who would be the... What force in the world hurts Cam Newton... For being on Madden. The force of, like, the jinx of getting too much fucking, uh, getting too much success. Like, you made it. You're fucking made into the NFL, right? And now you're making it on the fucking most popular NFL video game ever. So they don't get mad that he's on Sports Illustrated. No. They don't get mad that he's on ESPN. No. The Madden cover. It's Madden There's a dark evil in the world that pays attention to football. Yeah. And jinxes him. Just through the video game. Also, it's also it's when they started, because it just used to be Madden on the cover. Fucking John Madden. Uh So maybe Madden put a curse on it because he still wanted to be on the cover. So, like, he gets knocked off the cover of his fucking video game, his name on it, and he put these goddamn NFL players on it, so he's pissed. Not only that, he doesn't even do any of the voiceover. No. He's out. I mean, I'm sure he's making that money. I'll tell you this. Because when they do the update, I'm going to be the fucking Panthers a lot. Because Cam Newton is going to be unfucking stoppable He's going to fucking run for fucking 2,000 yards. The year after Mike Vick's uh, New Year, all I was was Mike Vick. Hell yeah. They're going to fucking boost his stats to the fucking And I'm just sitting there going like this. I've thrown for 375 and I've ran for 148. I'm unfucking believable. <laughs> no fucking running plays score for me unless it's Cam Newton's. Fuck yeah, he'll fucking do it too. He's a monster. Who? I. But here's the thing: you're starting a, st- uh, a team right now. Would you want Megatron or Cam Newton? Cam Newton. Give me Megatron. It's a tough fucking call. Man, he's the most call. dominant fucking wide receiver. He's gigantic. The fucking plays he makes are ridiculous. Yeah. And they might see Cam Newton coming this year. But Megatron has been the man for a few years now. They know what's going to happen. They know what the guy's doing. And you love Cam Newton. He's on your fantasy team. Yeah, I love that guy. Right, I picked I want, him up. I want Cam Newton to get there. And here's the other thing. <laughs> By the way, yeah. it's Madden 13. 13. So this fucking guy, whoever's on this cover, will get assassinated during a game. Oh, my God. Someone wow. will pull a sniper oh rifle. God, no. This is why people are after Ted Nugent for making such crazy statements. <laughs> When's the NFL draft, Fezzi? That is a week from today. A week from today, and if you go on the iBang, Fez is going to be with you hosting on the iBang. Oh, nice. Every single pick. The first night, it's only like an hour or two, right? Right, it's like their primetime special. Uh, The second? And then they do some on Friday night and then into Saturday as well. So Saturday is your long day. Yeah, Saturday's the all-day affair. You're going to need Red Bull. Yeah. You're going to need meth mm-hmm. to no, keep going. Yeah. Five-hour energy. Bath salts. I'd like to see Jerry Barker join you as, like, you're the play-by-play guy, but then uh-huh. he adds color. And I want him doing like, that's, you know, here's an interesting story, Fez. When he's coming out of college, he uh, killed two hookers, but they looked over that. Since back in high school, he was known as Fumble Ruski. But that all worked out well for him during his time in Texas. And he's ready to play in the NFL. And now he's a New York Jet. 
So you would take Fe- uh, you would take Cam Newton. I would take Cam Newton. Yeah. I know that Fez wouldn't take uh, Megatron because I've heard Fez refer to him before as Mega N. <gasps> what? It's yeah. fucking racist. It is racist. After this accurate fucking conversation we just had. Yes, but this is before then. I feel sick. Uh, Hicks, your big thing is everyone is destroy shit in slow motion. That video is up today. This video is fucking dope. Can I just tell you a problem that I have with you? Sure. You never get tired of the slow motion stuff. You it's cool. Love it. it it's just, this one's great. Slow down twenty five hundred <laughs> frames per second. Well, what are we normally frames per second? In twenty four. Twenty five hundred. And 2,400 doesn't seem like that big of a difference, right? Well, I guess it is. It's actually beautiful. It's when, from some Danish TV show. They just gave him a house and said, here, break shit. See, here's my problem. Every time I hear the term Danish TV show, I'd like to eat a Danish. Mm. So if I lived over there, I'd probably always be just stopping at the bakery and saying, everyone keeps reminding me of Danish. Why is it so beautiful to see shit torn apart in slow motion? It's like a primal thing. I think we want to destroy things. Now we get all oh, that fucking baseball bat destroying an ostrich egg. It's this, awesome. This is how Fez sees life when he has a panic attack. Oh, my God. Fez, by the way, in two days I've had two strange elevator things here. One wouldn't take me up today. We all had to get out and change the elevator, uh-huh. all 40 of us. And yesterday, uh, take the long drop, hit the ground, yeah. and then the door won't open. Do you remember which ones it was? Um, this side is the dropper. Other side, just all the way on the other way. So if we go, what, four and then five back here. Okay. Four and five. I had one uh, the other uh, evening where got to the ground floor, door won't open. Was that five? Because that's happened to me yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. It's the same one. So don't even panic. It just happens. It takes a while. I think because it drops you too fast. Look at this Coke thing. This is my favorite part of this video. It's where they take a fucking chainsaw to a two-liter bottle of Coke for whatever reason. And it looks awesome. We ought to have slow motion parties. That'd be dope. It really does look uh, awesome. Now, there is, and I don't know why, but beauty in destruction. You can't help that. There's a piece up on the iBank today that is the Six Flags in uh, New Orleans. And, of course, it's abandoned. And you can see from one of the pictures that it was all covered in water. Now, since then, it's been left alone. And yet, there's something... Like, a Six Flags, to me, is not something I would think of as a beautiful place. But when it, once it's abandoned, rusted, beat up... It seems gorgeous. Oh, yeah. That shit looks fucking awesome. It's almost like well, romantic, almost. It's it's just... The ones like you this... want to make out with it. Like, yeah, let's fuck the shit out of this. See, I don't like that. I don't like to go that far with it. That's one of my favorite shots there. That's a good one. And maybe it's like a Scooby-Doo thing. You know, you grow <laughs> up with Scooby-Doo. Uh-huh. But beyond that, and even remember how much we used to love ghost towns. You know what I mean? Like oh, those abandoned western towns. But this... You know, knowing that it was an amusement park. Uh, by the way, it looks like the world's smallest Six Flags to me. Well, there's about two. There's two. Well, one. There's two roller coasters. Three roller coasters. 
than a water slide. But not in a lot in between those roller coasters. <laughs> Maybe there's a food court or something. I don't know why it looks so much better abandoned. Let's just start abandoning more shit. You just want to go there and shoot dope and just fucking spend a relaxing day. Kind of like the Warriors. All right, Higgs, I'm being told that normally video is shot in 24 or 30 GPS. This is slowed down to 2,500 frames per second. Yeah. So 24, not 2,400. That was your your thing where I'm saying the 100 doesn't sound like that different. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so they, like this is 10. Slimes slower? Yeah. Jesus. And that is the way that Fez sees things. Damn, Fez. Uh, one more real quick, and then we'll take a break. James, you're on Fez. Hey, Roddy, I'll be at the Unmatched today. Uh, would you be receptive to me handing you a demo tape? Uh, for what? For my own show. I want, I want to be part of the team. Oh, part of our team here? Yeah. And, how, and what's on your demo tape? Um... We put together uh, the highlights, so to speak, of our show and some uh, pre-production bits and such. So you would like to merge the two shows into one? Well, obviously, <laughs> you're the man. Uh, I just want to ride your coattails like Fez does. Well, Fez and I will make the decision together. Already, I like the kid. I like where he's coming from. I'm going to say no. Uh, no. Um, After also, that want want. Uh, with the football talk, I I never understand how Larry Fitzgerald never gets the recognition as the best wide receiver uh, of our generation. One reason and one reason only. He's in Phoenix and no one catches no those fucking, games. No fucking QB. Well, he had Kurt Warner. Yeah, when he had Kurt Warner, everybody knew who he was, yeah. and then as soon as he does it. But he's uh, uh, he's unbelievable. He's a fucking yeah, he's highlight reel. But I never get to see him play. <laughs> never get to see him play. All right, got to take a break here. Uh, we'll be back. Lots more coming up, um, including uh, the best athletes ever to appear on SNL. That's up on the iBang. Uh, girls who are at the center of their own universe. Uh, and uh, the New York subway ad about pregnant women. That's all coming up, as well as a couple of guests. It's the Ron and Fez Show. This is the Ron and Fez Show. Love weekdays. 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. Celebrate. Replays daily at 1 a.m. Eastern. You give them this technique of transcendental meditation. It's a mental technique, an ancient form of meditation that literally and truly opens the door to the deepest level of life. Unbounded, infinite, eternal, pure consciousness. Modern science's unified field. In Vedic language, it's called Atma, means the self. Know thyself. Brian Fez show. 
on a Thursday. Monday, another Unmasked with Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey Unmasked. This should be an interesting one because I don't feel like anybody really knows a lot about Gilbert. Or whether that's even like a character that he does or whatever. Or even him. I know people who know him yeah. who don't know a lot about him. Wow. I know I've talked to people who've known him for decades and they're like, I don't know what part of town he lives in. I don't know. Really? That's he wow. Yeah, like if he has a family, you know, Holy he would just shit. show up and not. So it'll be very, very interesting. Gilbert Godfrey, uh, your chance Monday for a mask. Get on this one. Uh, and it looks like we're going to be doing an unmasked outside of the building very, very soon. We'll make that announcement um, coming up. All right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Let's bring Handsome Johnny into this. He uh, tried so hard yesterday and was shot down to knock Kate Upton off her throne uh, you were actually a little pissed for a while yesterday, Johnny. Oh, yeah. I was upset. I thought I thought Kate Mara was the one. You were yeah. really pissed, dude. You were fucking going through those comments I, fucking I, I defend nuts. the girl that I love. I love her. She's great. I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you. I think that she's stunning. Um, today you're going in a whole new direction, though. Yes. I decided to change change the route. I'm going to go with someone different. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to go with uh, Australian Victoria's Secret angel Miranda Kerr. Miranda Kerr. Now, what what is this uh, up on the wire I buy? This is, can Miranda Kerr take on the great cake? Man, there's so much stuff on the site right now. I don't even know if I can find it. It should be right at the top of the wire. All right. I got to reboot it then. Uh, Miranda Kerr. Now, tell us a little bit about her. She's just a model? Uh, yeah, she's a Victoria's Secret model. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just, she's stunning. I mean, if... One word to describe her, I would just say she's stunning. In the world of Victoria's Secret models, there was the Adriana Lima was the hot name for a while. And then this broad, Miranda Kerr, has totally taken her over. Out of all the Victoria's Secret models, she's the top broad right now. She's the top Victoria's Secret model right now. I'm not familiar with her. Face of an angel. Mm-hmm. Victoria's Secret angel. Now. I believe she's married to Orlando Bloom. Fellow well, Aussie. Yeah, fellow Aussie. That's a place to start, no doubt about it. Now, if I said anything, I'll just go to, let's go to this pink uh, picture with the ass cut out here. A little oh, bit of a boy's one. ass. That's my that's, favorite. No, that's a good one. You don't see that a little bit as of a boy's ass? I don't really know what. There's not a round curve. Like. There's not a round. Oh, you you've been <laughs> in a locker room before. There's not the round curve of a womanly ass there. It is the a cub a cub scout's ass. Now. I'm already doing that, but we're on a uh, scale of, you know, 1 to 10. We're at the 9.97. Mm-hmm. But that's what happens when you're, you know, a judge on one of these shows. You start to get really difficult at the end. You have to, though. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a contest in the world that she wouldn't win. But does she become the new it girl for the iBang? That's the problem. I think she's got a shot. Miranda Kerr, very beautiful woman, obviously. She is, but she's not Miranda Kerr. She's petite. Where Kate Upton, on the other hand, is amazingly uh, curvy. In all the right places, Ron. 
town. She has like a kid. And also, that she has a child. Miranda does. I, that takes points away for me. All right. Now, hold on. This is what Christopher Brooklyn says. Uh, she's a little flat on tits, too small, and Cape Upton is a big-breasted dumbass. I love her. Um, next one says those eyebrows are going to hurt her points in the long run. Hmm. Yeah, that this could is use, a tough fucking crowd here. That could use some plucking. And that one shot that we looked at before with the pink yeah. bottoms, that shoulder blade is just right. really sticking out way too much for me. Though uh, Red Bull gives you wings here. Yeah, I want to give her a sandwich there on that one. And look at the wrist. But I didn't even... What's that? It's just got a little too bit bony. Thin. Yeah. Yeah, but petite is really pretty. Petite is pretty. But that's a bad angle on the shoulder blade. I didn't even notice that till Fez brought it up. Um, let's see what some of these uh, have to say. Well, this one I kind of don't like. Nice try, hand jobs, hand job, Johnny shit flakes. Wow, that shit I don't flakes. like. Shit flakes. What the hell is that? Flakes of shit. A uh, court of giant agrees with you that having a kid kind of throws things off. It throws. Yeah, I'll a... give him that. I mean, I'm trying to find someone in the same age bracket. She's a little bit older than Kate Upton. Now, Diego uh, said that he drank her bath water, which I think. Seems like that's a compliment. It is. Dick, let me drink the dirt off your body. You're so hot. Miranda Kerr. Liz sets fire. Better than yesterday, but still doesn't beat Upton. Upton is the person to beat. And while Kerr, beautiful, I don't see it. Here's what Malibu Jim says. Married, kids, Australian, Great all-American pinup retard. Well, that's hurtful. <laughs> Damn, handsome Johnny shitflakes. Well, well, well. Johnny f- found a supermodel with a mad a- man ass. Said Kip Rowland. Oh, he settled on boy ass, not man ass. <laughs> Jake Florida says I'd poke her in her doo doo hole. <laughs> So that one oh, might be something. God. If she writes a book, she might want that on the back jacket. Uh, Jesus. People like my doo-doo hole, like Jake from Florida. <laughs> so buy this I thing. Just, I really get disgusted when people have to bring shit into anything. <laughs> that I hate to say it, but that's what I call gay. You know how gays always are like, oh, God, I love to have a shit all over my cock or whatever. On. You know how those, they talk? Release the shit on my the doo-doo hole anyway. Huh? Doing it in the doo-doo hole. Yeah, I don't like the fucking, that thing of, of bringing shit in. Um, Kate Upton wins. Uh, why can't I have both? Because that's not how this works, Rex Start. You can't have either if you want to do. <laughs> Here's Ollie in Chicago said, Handsome Johnny, more like handful of jizzy. Oh, my God. <laughs> just pulling cum in your some fucking hands. Just, some of these fucking people are judging Johnny instead of his girl. Miranda Kerr is a kid in a blown-out vagina. Oh, she probably got a C-section. Nowhere near the best Vicky's model. I didn't even know they called it Vicky's. I have no idea. I gotta start saying that. You say to the ladies, how about we stop by Vicky's for you? Well, you like Vicky's, right? Vapor rub? No, not vapor rub. <laughs> All right, hold on. Here's Eric in Kentucky. Hey, boys. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think... Uh, I think this one here is going to be tough to bring um, uh, Kate Upton down just because she's kind of got that distinct look in her face, and I think Kate, Kate Upton's face is, is gorgeous. But, you know, on top of it, Kate is 
her her boobs are so big and they're real and yeah. so you know that 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 in itself is going to be terrible. and that's a turnoff for handsome Johnny. He doesn't yeah, I, like that. He said he likes small uh, boy breast. He's like, oh, I don't want to fuck a boy, but what looks like one that I could? And then he says, forget it, I do want to fuck a boy. <laughs> Screw it, no one will find <laughs> out. I'll just say I'll hurt their parents if they say anything. And that they're the ones doing something wrong. Uh, he says, body of a 13-year-old. Looks too smart. We do like the dumbness of our case. <laughs> If we're going for big titted dumbasses, I don't think I can beat Kate Upton. Then I, I, I don't not think personally. I can find anyone else. Um, let's go over here to Craig. Craig, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, what's going on, buddies? When's he gonna use his head and pull like a Brazilian or Mexican like uh, news reporter weather girl? We need someone with big tits, looks stupid, and looks like a slut. That's where you gotta go. You're not gonna find it in fucking Victoria's Secret. All right, so, I'm going so the you wrong want direction. kind of Brazilian and slutty? I got some good news. Uh, Brazilian Julie's stopping in tomorrow, and she's half of that. Oh, and see the thing about Kate Upton is she likes playing with her tits, which is fucking really just all right. You know you have giant fucking rack. If you were like, if she was your chick, that means that you suddenly found out you had eight billion dollars. She'd be like, "Stop, let me play with them for a while." <laughs> Kate, we both can't. <laughs> uh, Dirk, oh, these are going by so fast I can't even keep up with them. Face of an angel, tits of an Asian, ass of a 10-year-old boy. I'm all in. That's what shit flakes like. <laughs> this one says, I want to change my vote. I was looking at a picture of Stevie Van Zandt. <laughs> <laughs> How can anyone run down Kate Upton? She beats everyone. End of story. Pepper rules. No. Oh. Thanks. This uh, aunt had a crush on her a few years ago, but I'm sure she's too old now. This says, I thought uh, um, Orlando Bloom was gay. Mm-mm, I guess, or maybe she's a beard or something. No such luck. Mm, that came some drippy granny. <laughs> well, it looks like, and I'm, you know, these aren't official. I'm just saying the early stuff, you're in trouble, handsome Johnny. Back to the drawing board. Or do you give up? Oh, no. I will not give up. I just got to pick a new direction. I got to stop going smart and start going big-tittied and dumb. <laughs> That's it. Never fun. You know what? Just say that you figured out what. You know what fails, and that's in a way that's successful. Mm -hmm. It's moving forward. You know, it's fucking good enough for a, a movie star like Orlando Bloom, but obviously not good enough for our listeners. Nope, because they do so well. Fucking slay. Yeah. Um, Mike, you're on the Run of Fest show. What's up, Ronnie B? How you doing, man? Um. Good. What can we do for you? All right. Sorry. I was going to say, uh, if it's for one night, what, is it, what are we talking about? Are we talking about marriage or just like a one night stand type of thing? Uh, neither. We're just talking about for on a website. You enslaved uh, them. In you're your not basement. going to get either one of these. <laughs> Nothing. Right, well, you know. You're going to marry okay, a well, fucking well, checkout girl from Piggly Wiggly. Fucking face I'd be lucky, that. I'd be lucky Publix. To get that. But let's say, I mean, uh, I, I would probably go with Upton for one night, but as far as like, you know. Long term, I definitely go with her. You know, you got to worry about stagges down the line and stuff like that. Yeah. She's not the brightest, you know, bulb in the 
in the drawer. Everybody's really tough on Upton about being stupid, but she is a little kid. She's 19. Yeah. You could not take her into a club. All right. Here comes Rob Cross wants to get involved in this. Well, of course, did, they got did, bikini did, models. Did Miranda Kerr get dropped that quick? Yeah, yes. She's yeah. really, yeah. she's getting beat like a, like a rent-up mule. Oh, and some on. of it is just uh, anti-Handsome Johnny um, stuff out there. Because he doesn't really sell her. He came in timid. And he should have came in strong. Miranda Kerr is like where where Kate Upton is. I think everybody's kind of nailed it. She's like a she's just a like a bimbo, pretty much. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. she's like the kind of chick like when you're 16, you put up a you know like you have a picture of her in your locker or something. It's like okay, that's great. Miranda Kerr's big boy hot. She's mm. like she's classy. She's cute. Her face is cute, and she's sexy as hell. I mean, how like I want to isolate this for all for the day that we get Kate Upton to come in. I'm gonna play oh, Jesus, this. Yeah. I'm going to play this, bro. Don't worry. I'm marking this, I'm marking this <laughs> down. Because you never know who's yeah, coming right. in here. That was a dumb thing to say. <laughs> you never know. But this is a strange thing. All right, this is our job, and this is our supervisor. This is how easy <laughs> our life has gone. <laughs> that most jobs, the supervisor would be going, stop fucking around and get, get back, back to work. Here. Stop know, looking at these pictures. Yeah, Hanson Johnny came in yesterday, like in the afternoon, and we spent like, you know, 10, good 20, 20, good 20 minutes. 30 minutes good just 20 like minutes. pouring over pictures of uh, Miranda Kerr online. It's like, this is fucking work, dude. Uh, here, but, but here's the deal. Handsome Johnny's got to do a better presentation because I think they smelled fear in his voice as he was so stung by yesterday that he did yeah, yes, not give he, this girl everything yeah, she deserves. I was upset. They, was by. they hurt yeah. my girl. Yeah. I, I'm going to come out strong tomorrow. I'm going to find one. I'm, I don't, how do you beat Miranda Kerr? You just be caped up. Be Kate Upton. That's you've got to beat Kate Upton. You've got Apparently. to take her down. I don't know. She's man. been I, too dominating. Not a Kate Upton fan. You don't like her at all. I, it's not that I don't like her at all. I don't love her face. I think is what it is. I, I've I never seen it. Let's go back and take a look <laughs> at that. I really want to try to get the full package in now. Bullshit. I mean, she's not Kate Upton because she's got flaws. You know, that's the problem. Well, this is her hamburger commercial. Yeah. Buy cheeseburgers. Look at my tits. I mean, the only thing that's going to really hurt this kid is overexposure. It's getting there, probably. I yes, mean, I mean, every time you turn around, there's a new ad. Every holiday, she's fucking taking yeah. over. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for me to find girls who are flawless. It's hard, it's hard to connect, you know what I mean? I just, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. You, like, you, you need like a, a flaw. Like, there has to be a little something, you right. know, a little character. This is just, like, if you made a computer-generated hot chick, this would be... Right. She's like weird science. Well, high, you know? the flaw is going to be her personality. That's yeah. going to be the beauty for you. Or she fucks Mark Sanchez. That's the fucking flaw. Uh, yeah, I, this stupid hamburger commercial that you have is like almost like a 1950s Anne Margaret yeah. over-the-top idea of perfection. Now, the difference was Anne Margaret actually had talent. She could dance. She could sing. She could out. This kid doesn't do anything yet except for shake her tits. I don't know whether she's taking any classes. I don't know where she's going to take this. I don't know. I mean, I feel like if if Miranda Kerr has been brought to the consciousness of a larger number of people out of this, and that's all that happens, then I feel it's a victory. Well, I think the thing holding you back is the kid. She is a kid. Here's what we're going to do. Next week on the 5, Supermodel Moms. 
and let's try to get yeah. rid of the prejudice and put the supermodel moms out there. Because there's a strong group of these women that are moms. Got to give them some love, I guess. I don't know. You know, I, I, when I heard you guys doing this, the only other girl that came to mind, this is probably pretty whack, is, uh, <laughs> is Pippa Middleton. I love Pippa Middleton. She's going to jail, dude. No. Yeah, yeah you didn't see that thing? Over that For shit. what? I heard her friend, they were like waving a fucking handgun or a fake handgun around in France, and it's really hardcore over there. Yeah, don't fuck around. And they, if they go, they decide I know, to go after her. it was a real her. thing. I thought yeah. it was just, wow. Oh, yeah. that sucks. I'm sure England will step in, but. Her fucking run. French it, prison's not yeah, going to be kind to her. The thing about, yeah, the thing about her is like she just came out of nowhere and kind of upended her fucking sister Dude, at her own wedding. When you watch that wedding, wedding yeah. you're like, oh yeah, the bride looks pretty. God damn, who's that girl? Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Wow. Sorry to hear about that. Well, Handsome Johnny's on his own tomorrow. And I'm here's where, no, here's, here's where you went good. Because I think you could beat Kate Upton on this when you bring up Middleton. I think she, you're not going to beat her in the tits department. So when you can't be number one in something, go someplace she ain't. You got to start thinking ass. Yeah. All right. You got to come in ass. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to do a lot of yeah. research tonight. A lot. Don't fuck this up. I like again. the fact that you come back swinging every single day. And that you're already, like, musically, you use Rob's picks from two and a half months ago. That I liked. I like that, too. Yeah, instead of having <laughs> your own, I'm going to follow Rob that at this. the same time. When, is that, when are they coming in to doing a show? May 2nd. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Is it during my show? Yes. Great. That's going to be the day that fucking Fez reads his diary. <laughs> All right. All right, go get him Handsome Johnny. Rob loves Handsome Johnny. Oh, He's yeah. a big fan. I did not know that you went to the boss for help. What, to find a new girl? Yeah. No, no, we were, we were discussing it, and we both mutually agreed that that might have been a better option, and I thought it was a better option. I thought we were going to go away from the cute and nice girl. I thought we were going a little edgier, mm. Victoria's okay. Secret model. But I'm um, going to up it up again tomorrow. People, a lot of research, Johnny, does that mean that you're going to be beating off all night? <laughs> the fuck else would it mean? <laughs> Fuck being nice. Get that titless freak out of here. <laughs> wow, Jesus some of these Christ. people are angry. It's fucking rough. You get nothing. You lose. Her vagina looks like an explosion at the Steakum factory. Jeez. This is the only thing that Mark Sanchez did that it wasn't mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You can't laugh without choking. I fucking have great lungs. Spot on. You know, it is old generic line day on the fucking iBank. We're just trying to get as many of them out there that have already been used before. Um, JD, you're on running Fez. Yeah, I think Kate Epton, her hips aren't wide enough. And she kind of looks like baby fat on a skeleton. I don't think she's going to age very well. Her hips aren't she's wide enough. Of- you're not gonna, you sound like a farmer trying to get married in the 1400s. Why do you want a baby machine? This is just a one-time pinup girl. None of you guys are getting her. She's not going to survive the winter, huh? I want to see this video you were talking about, about the kids playing chicken in the New York uh, City subway. These fucking morons. Did you ever used to fuck around the trains when you were a kid? 
Uh, I actually, I only fucking went through on the tracks once, and that's just because I didn't want to. F- it was one of those subways where you'd have to fucking go out of the subway and pay another fare. So I was like, "Fuck that! I'm just gonna walk across the tracks and just try and catch my fucking train." Because I was going the wrong way. I was drunk, mm-hmm. and it's dirty as fuck down there. No thanks. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's horrible in those fucking goddamn subways. When I was in sixth grade, we used to jump trains. Uh, that was near our house uh, because there was like a bend. And they would go slow enough that could jump onto them. Uh, And then when it would stay on as long as you could before it got up too much speed, that where you jumped off. And then, like, people would say stuff like, you can get sucked back under that train. And I'd be like, that sounds like a crazy made-up lie just to keep people from having fun. I never thought that anything had happened. But then this kid in our school got his leg cut off. Jesus. Yeah. Were there any other, other, like, hobos on, on the train? You know, my mom has always used the word train bums to me, which I don't even think anyone else does. Like, stay away from the tracks. There's train bums down there. But I can honestly say I never saw some fucking old hobo riding a train. With the bindle on his But back. we wouldn't stay on more than a half fucking mile or so. I mean, like, I wasn't going to Kentucky or anything. It was more of the matter of jumping on, jump holding up. on, and jumping off. <laughs> I didn't go inside the car and make myself at home. Try to pull my jacket up yeah. so I can stay warm. Just make it to the next town. All right, let me see what these kids are doing. All right, this is the three train on uh, Manhattan. And they're all just standing on the tracks. There's like three or four kids just standing in the tracks, yeah. Having a great time. Um, the train isn't even coming yet? They could probably see it. We can't see it in this shot, but right. you'd, they'd be able to see it. Oh, oh the lights in the distance. And now you can see uh, the lights coming. Always a welcome sign when you've been down in the fucking hole for a while. Finally see that train. (sighs) Now they're jumping back down. One kid just refusing to fucking go. They're not yelling at him. See, that because the girls like it. That's why you do it. Here comes the old three train. That conductor must have been so pissed. Sure. You think you want to be the guy who runs over a kid? I wouldn't even stop for them if I was that conductor. Didn't look like he was going to stop. I mean, he would have had a break a lot long before that. <laughs> Fucking uh, to actually get that. Because I think we're still going pretty much regular speed to uh, park into the station. But that's just noise. Unless, you know. You're planning on throwing yourself in front of a train car to just kill yourself and ruin the MTA and the people's commutes. We actually had to post more Kate Upton to make up for everything that Handsome Johnny's done. Good. Keyword cute, two words no. Boy, they're rough on Handsome Johnny. Yeah, they don't like his They're calling him lube steak now. Oh, God. So clever. Kind of. Will Pete? Will Handsome Johnny be doing the same kind of research as Pete Townsend? Oh, listen. don't give anybody your fucking credit card. If he sends a bunch of fucking little kid pics, the, <laughs> and for these, these aren't these kids better than that Kate Upton? Don't you guys think so? Huh? Come on, agree with me. <laughs> don't call the cops. I'll send these to anyone else. Actually, you know, this was just a contest. I was I, just trying to do something for work. All right, we got a break here. Reminding you, Monday is uh, going to be another big unmasked 
Uh, um, Monday, what time, Fez? Monday, you got to be here at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock for Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey, go over to the iBang for more information. We'll be right back. It's the Run and Fez Show. This is the Run and Fez Show. Love. Weekdays, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. Celebrate. Replays daily at 1 a.m. Eastern. Around a show. Special thanks to our in-house band today, Grateful Dead. Uh, coming up a little later on in the show, we've got a gentleman who's written a book about creativity um, called Imagine, and that's uh, Jonah Lair. And then also, John Cusack will be uh, by to discuss his new film, The Raven. Nice. The Raven. Quote The Raven. And it looks like at some point during the interview, he will turn into a raven and start pecking our eyes out. Oh, God. I don't want to give anything away, but that happens in the movie. Uh, I was at a big world premiere last night with the red carpet, the whole thing. And it was the premiere of the Tribeca um, Film Festival. And it was Nick Stuller's movie, Five Year Engagement. And then we all went to MoMA afterwards. Uh, open bar, wedding cake, and all that. Everyone got drunk and just starts throwing wedding cake at the paintings. What? what? I had Starry Night, the big fucking cupcake. I just slammed it in the Starry Night. That's hurting the art. Why would they do that? Well, when you're drinking like that, you don't know exactly what you're doing. Someone must have been sober enough to try to stop this. My joke was I threw it, splattered it all over Starry Night. And I yelled out San Dimas High School rules, and I just fucking go running down the hall real fast. <laughs> Shit, that's what to say if you're going to yeah. fucking yell anything out. Um, three o'clock, we're also always going to drop something on the iBang that's a little gratuitous. And today's is going to be a little something for the leg man, and then I won't. That's it. That's it. But always go looking right as the show uh, ends. Always something... Uh, free to jump in there. Matter of fact, the, the site ke- keeps going. And uh, Rob is saying to me, he goes, because I'm spending so much time on the iBang, he goes, 
I forgot it was my kid's birthday. And he ended up missing his kid's birthday. Fuck, man. You got to be on top of that, Cross. Not if you don't care about family. That's the beauty of it. Wow. Uh, you've said you've got a new study out, Hicks. Something you've been working on? or No, it's the Brits. From you? The Brits, I've become aware, they've published a new report that shockingly shows that four out of five 16-year-old boys and girls regularly access porn on the internet. They're blowing the fucking goddamn top off this. Kids uh, look at porn. You know, the weird thing is, is that if your kid has a computer in his room, you're basically saying my kid has a peep show in their room. Yes. Like, when I was younger, kids would actually try to hide magazines. Now you don't have to hide anything. You just have your laptop there, and you're, like, doing homework, and then, you know, then it's jack time when everyone leaves you alone. It's like, oh, maybe I'll go to you, Jizz. Maybe I'll... But I, I honestly think that we're going to, in the future, have a generation of young men who will not be able to have an orgasm unless they're sitting in a desk chair. They <laughs> won't be able to do it in a bed. Baby, I can't get it off. And quite frankly, I don't think there's anything lower than a mature fucking man, an of-age man, no. jerking off in front of his desk. <laughs> I think that is th that should just have like a neon light that just says loser pop over your head. Then that's most of the population, the population of the planet at this well, point. Well, that's what you're saying. Most people do lose. Let's not get around it. But you could just be sitting there going, this is not the way I wanted my life to turn out. <laughs> and then once you know? you're, fucking, you're fucking jizzing, it's like, oh, this, I feel yeah, bad about myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, feel whatever you want up to the point after you're, you're done, after you have your orgasm, that is the... <laughs> and then well, clean up your desk area. Uh, life did not become what I thought it was going to become. It also says one in three ten-year-olds have seen porn, which I don't think is too surprising. One in three? One in three, yeah. 33%. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. If you're a kid and you use Google, you're going to accidentally see porn. You'll fucking type anything in the Google image and it's right. going to pop up. You know, when they do the not safe for work, you'll be fucking blowing off a lot of things that people can use because it's, you know, interchangeable. Oh, hell yeah. Alabama, get away. I know that I'll hear later from like uh, Kathleen from the Bronx. Thanks so much for that dead Ronnie B. I remember one time Brian, Brian and I followed him around 17 shows in 14 days. Nice. Hit the nitrous. Sell a tank or two. Ooh, 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 ooh. I was just saying in the paper that there was this big child porn arrest. 28 kids, 28 people. Uh, one of them, an 18-year-old kid. Um, in New Jersey, as part of uh, Operation Watchdog, and they watch out. These dogs watch out. Fuck. When I did the grand jury at that time, that was a very large portion of some of the shit that went down. And New York City actually has their own task force that goes for nothing but they just cracking child porn rings, or just people. Yeah. Won't... Well, you know, they they have people that upload, they have people that download, yeah. people that are paying. You know, it's just. Why is this still happening? No, I don't know. Come I don't on. fucking what know. The fuck? You would think at the very least 
realize that you're being watched? Is it, is it an addiction to child? There's a lot of gays out there. Okay. You're right. They, I guess they were born this way. 10% of the population. But not all gays are pedophiles. No, 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 no. You're right. Some of them are the victims. Some of them are little gay victims. Mm-hmm. So sad. And then some of the gays just stab the older gays and take their money. That's what you're looking forward to, right, Fez? I'm not looking forward to that at all, but it does happen. Pick up a couple boys. It happens where, most of the time. Where uh, a young gay person will just clobber the older gay man that they're with and gay, gay steal on, everything. Gay on gay crime. Absolutely. It's terrifying. Well, why don't you just lay there covered in spunk and fucking your thing should be it was worth it. <laughs> That's my iron. <laughs> Shut up, old man. Here's your fucking money. Now I'm bringing my hipster gay friends over. We're going to spray paint you. With jizz. Oh, God, Fez, don't. Just take I know. my stuff. Don't handcuff me to the bedpost and then oh. break my ribs. What? What the fuck? He's really reading too deep into this. Is this a fantasy? Uh, I know ONA uh, played the Mel Gibson rant today. It's up on the iBank. I haven't heard it. Is it worth it? It's more of the same, I'd say. I'm embarrassed for Joe Esterhouse, though. A man fucking putting out something like this, you know? Yeah, after that letter, he's just pissed now because no one's listening. I think he feels no one's listening to him. I don't know. Where did he record this? On his phone? Apparently, it's his. he got on his son's recorder. His his son recorded it. Yeah, his son was like wherever Mel was in Costa Rica, and they were having a meeting about that uh, McAvee's uh, movie. Yes. So I I believe the son recorded this. So, but basically, it's not ridiculous for you to record something when everyone's sitting around coming up with ideas. Like, Mel should have probably figured, hey, did one of you guys have a recorder? Because maybe this wasn't even secret. But it is weird to put it out. Let's just, uh, I haven't heard it yet, so. Costa Rican birds. I have no context here. I have no idea what's happening. It's just him screaming like a fucking maniac. He's screaming at Esther House's kid about where is this script I've been asking for. Just give him the script. He brings up his wife, too, I think. Well, he definitely didn't know he was being recorded. That's anger issues. He's got anger issues. That's where he's screaming at ex- Oksana, the ex-girlfriend. Yeah, this is all happening like that. I could barely give a fuck about it, though, because the other ones were better. Yeah, the ones she Anyway, reported. it's up on the iBang if you want to listen to it yourself. I just get, you know, I just get a little bored with him. You got to come up with a new bit, dude. <laughs> you know, you just can't be doing the same shit. Hey, we've got to um, be giving out a gold star for... Uh, an eye banger who's been on the job uh, sending us stuff.
That's Jerry Johnson. Jerry Johnson. Johnson Doe. Stand up here in front of the class as I pin this gold star to you. There you go, buddy. He was down with yesterday's 3 o'clock, and maybe for all I know, today's. Nice the gratuitous 3 o'clock post. No wrong with that. Oh, look at that beautiful star that you just put up. It's a nice big like, Whatever I'm talking about, you just Google it and you put it up, and that's, that's your way of helping. Wait, are you talking about Google right now? Hold on. Let me Google image Google. Here, look. Seriously, you're just being a dick now. <laughs> Seriously. There's fucking... You got a little Mel Gibson in you. I'm no, just going to fucking say no, it, dude. I don't. I'm going to say it. No, I don't. You hit women. You scream. You curse. You're anti-Jewish. That's fucking Mel Gibson. You're great in an action film. Well, I mean, you know, you know, gift. You got the reli- crazy religious views <laughs> where you fucking try to be nice to Jesus by tying fucking barbed wire around your balls and walking around all day. This is going to make him happy. I swear to, swear to him. Uh, I know the uh, gas station fight was a big one on the site that everybody loved, and then the beehive stuff, but most of this stuff gets a little weird for me. I'm not going to lie to you. Most of it gets a little fucking crazy. They'll get nuts. I'm not as fucking Mel Gibson as fucking Hicks is. Listen, what up, Roman Mel Gibson's out there? Yeah, there are. i like to see Fez get some Mel Gibson in him. I've been talking to him about that. About upping his amp a little bit. About taking it up a notch. Put it you the know? fuck Because I already got fucking handsome Johnny looking at the fucking ground for the way the listener's been treating him. Come on, Johnny Tubestakes. Sure, you have shit tasting women and no one likes you, but fucking throw it out there. And the, uh, and the pimp swung their axes and said, Johnny, you're a cheater. And then the pimp swung their axes and said, Johnny, you lie. Look, all the fucking bosses are running out of their offices thinking that Springsteen's here. Oh, my God, Bruce! Did you hear some Bruce down there? Quick! By the way, I saw Sway from Shady 45 strolling around that MoMA party last night. Oh, nice! How's he doing? Good. I think he was hanging out with Jay Farrow. I don't know, though. Sway's killing it. I just had cocktails with, and I'm not making a big fucking deal about this. I'll just throw it away. Andrew McCarthy. And then that's the fucking scene. That's what's happening right now. Fuck. That's why I want you to start coming to some of these things. I don't want you left left on the back burner. I want to be in the front burner. And I even said, remember when you treated that redheaded girl like shit and she still dumped fucking ducky at you at the end? And he went. He he just grabs his cock and goes like this. Cause she wanted this, daddy. She wanted this. He did that in the middle of that party. Yeah, that's and then we awesome. all laughed. Shit, he's the man. What was her name? That girl that was in that fucking Molly Ringwald. Oh yeah, she wasn't at the party, but I saw her out front um, later, uh, fighting with a pigeon over a French fry. But they were just fucking. <laughs> They're both trying to figure out who got it. <laughs> that was in a fucking sight. Yeah. It was. It shocked me. I, gosh, I know she wasn't doing that good, but still. This fucking... Save anything? I didn't want to see, I didn't want to see this happen. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan, but I gotta tell you, I'm feeling for her right now. Shit. 
I'm fucking feeling for her. She could write a book or something, or yeah, make a bunch of lies about the Brad Pack. In the meantime, John Cusack just stays a movie star. He'll be stopping in a little later. Also, Joan Allaire, uh talking about creativity. I'm gonna have him spending a little time with Hicks. Yeah. Trying to get Hicks to reinvent a new character for himself, one that isn't so drunk and mean and foul mouthed. I wouldn't say on those things. I mean, sure, I like to get drunk from time to time. I've been mean to people in the past. And I guess I do curse a lot. Yeah. I, I know Maddie said that his that he's uh, likes us. But his girlfriend says that you and I are too offensive <laughs> and that she prefers the Fez stuff on the show. Oh. Because he's not as offensive as us. It's true. Um, but then, did you notice that she backed away when Fez tried to pull her in for a hug? Oh, you're doing the yeah. big picture off. Yeah. Yeah. It would happen right here. How come uh-huh. you went in for a hug of somebody you don't know? Well, I thought it was a hugging situation. Maddie was very huggy. And just, I thought, all right, this is a couple who hugs. Wow. So, and when she, when you went in for the hug, what did she do? It was kind of like not just a pull away, but also a twist, like a turn as well. He came off looking like a bad uncle. And I just saw it happen and just did the. Because <laughs> I know. I can still hear it, that, though. That you toss and turn over it, you know? Uh huh, yeah. Because you. And then there's my decision of, do you keep approaching the hug? No, you got to stop. Yeah, you got to back off. First of all, never be the person who that tries to hug another person that much. If they lean in, you you can lean back. But why do you want to be the instigator of a hug? Weird, weird times. It felt like a hug moment. The engagement had just been announced. and Right, but you're not in their family. You're no. not one of them. You're a fucking strange, weird dude from fucking New York that they hear on the radio. Just, But this, this is the thing. You were hugging for your own sake. You should only hug for the other person's sake. If you're going to be the instigator, be like, this fucking person is fucking sensitive. Let me fucking help them out and let them know everything's going to be all right. Yeah. But you're the I need a hug type. And that is freakish. No hugs. No, no hugs. I love I love it. I love if something fucking fails in public like that. Particularly to Fez, because I know it's going to bug him. But how come you didn't bring it up? How come... I've been waiting for days for you to say, look, I had one of my awkward fucking moments. What do you think happened here? Instead, he tried to knicky this thing and act like everybody didn't see him. But it fucking went down in public. Oh. Weirdness. Weirdness could be good, though. Um, I know we got a break again uh, before we do John Cusack, but uh, there's a new thing up about uh, a girl arrested after attacking a Twitter follower. I did not know that the Twitter could get this dangerous this fast. Yeah, people get pissed about the tweets. And they show up and they fight? Yeah. This is why I don't tweet. Good, don't stay away. Handsome from Johnny, do you tweet? I don't tweet. I don't tweet. I don't Facebook. I'm taking a good look at MySpace though. I'm really thinking about getting into that for a while. Yeah. And then Friendster. That's the two things really? I want to be on because it's not so busy. Does Friendster still exist? Fucking Friendster looks like that uh, fucking Six Flags outside of New Orleans. <laughs> 
It's like shitty fucking graffiti all everywhere. Um, but it's the first post up on the wire right now. This fucking girl got stomped. Her shit got stomped in this. World Star Hip Hop, baby. That's your favorite site, right? World Star is fucking great, yeah. And it's normally black people fighting black people. <laughs> a lot of the time. That's a trend on the website, right. yeah. But black people not only like to fight, but they like to videotape their fights. As so- if it's a pay per view. And sometimes they will yell, This is going to get on World Star Hip Hop. I have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting it straight on World Star Hip Hop. It's good. It's nice knit. Oh, shit. Now, these are both chicks? Yeah. Wow. Wow, that chick's fast. Oh, she's vicious, man. Oh, fuck. Wow. This is not even comfortable. You're going to jail. We're seeing somebody going to jail right now. Holy shit. She's laying her fucking beat down. (gasps) She is... You put this up on fucking... Line, even if it's world star hip hop, you've just sentenced yourself to fucking jail. There's no way around that. That is one of the most vicious attacks I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe how strong she was. She's strong and fast. Uh, all right, I'm already being told that today the articles come out of the arrest. Um, the editor actually thought that this was um, fake yesterday because of how fast and vicious it was. But today the the arrest went down. I am telling you right now, I can't believe that a judge, a jury, a DA can look at that without thinking serious time. Because that is a fucking dangerous woman throwing those fucking... Hands and feet. I mean, she is not a half-ass fucking um, fighter. And she's doing this over fucking Twitter. Wait till somebody fucking steps on her toes at the fucking Winn-Dixie. She's going to go fucking batshit. And she goes into court handing them all the evidence they need against her. You're 100% right. It's her. This is what these people don't fucking get. They think, I want to go viral... You can't fucking put something out like like you could sit around and tell the story and like you're a judge, you're like, really? Well she seems nice, but this other person says this. You know, you can go back and forth forever. You look at that video, I don't need to hear shit from anybody. I'm fucking sitting here now saying I've never seen too many men be as fast, as strong, and as vicious as this fucking chick can fight. That fucking blew me away, Hicks. Well, you You're the one you found this on Will's, on Worldstar? Because I know you fucking cruised that site. I troll that shit because I can't get enough of this fucking website. Why? That was fucking unbelievable. Uh, Furtherman is the one who sent that to us. I don't know how he didn't get the gold star, but he's up for tomorrow's. Because I'm just saying, if I would have seen this now, I might have pulled everything else. and just handed the gold star over to Furtherman. Uh, we got to go into a break here, um, but, and these are going fast, your opportunity to see an Unmasked Monday with Gilbert Godfrey. I'm doing an Unmasked after show today. We've got the big Gilbert Godfrey coming up on Monday, and then we're going to be making a couple of more announcements, too, 
uh, coming up. So that's all happening. Make sure you stay up on the iBank for all the latest news. Uh, we will do a break here. The Raven is coming out very, very soon with John Cusack in it. John Cusack uh, will be stopping by for an interview. And after that, uh, Jonah Lara will be talking about stuff. A lot of stuff up on the iBang. Make sure that you check it out. We'll do a break here, and we'll be uh, right back. It is, of course, the Ron and Fez Show. Ron and Fez. The Ron and Fez Show. I will fear no evil. No le tendré miedo al peligro. Because I'm walking with Jesus. Porque camino con Jesús. I walk with Jesus. Camino con Jesús. I walk with Jesus. I walk with Jesus. I shout with Jesus. I walk with Jesus. I stomp with Jesus. We stomp on the devil. We stomp on the It's the Ron and Fez show on a Thursday. Uh, coming up in just a little bit, uh, we'll have an interview with John Cusack. John Cusack is uh, doing the Edgar Allan Poe film, uh, The Raven. The Raven, who not only was a fine writer, maybe the first big American writer, but also a terrific wrestler. And no one ever brings it up anymore. E.C. Dub. Um, but it is the Ron and Fez show. Uh, by the way, John Cusack, for he still comes off feeling like a really young dude, but has been in so many classic films now. I think he's done 40-some films and there's quite a few real classics in there. Um, Gross Point Blank. No, was that the name of it? Gross Point Blank? Yeah, Gross Point Blank. Yeah. Uh, Grifters. Phenomenal film. Say Anything, of course. Uh, High Fidelity. Um, being John Malkovich. Amazing. Amazing uh, how many... Really classic film. First of all, I would take those top five films there, Hicks, and put them up just about any against anybody. Oh, they're gigantic, and you know, I kind of don't realize it, but when actually you look at it, like all those movies are fucking fantastic. High Fidelity. Yeah. High Fidelity is a great film. I guess it's a rom com, right? That goes into the rom com category. It does, but you know, it's a Nick Nick Hornby bit, so he's a little bit better of a writer, yeah. than most people who write that kind of shit, uh, and because the book is actually good. Uh, but the weird thing is the book, it, when you read the book, it doesn't seem like it would be that translatable because, you know, it's the list and weird shit. And just yeah. like the cool thing about it is the kind of shit that guys like us end up talking about, you know, the whole, you know, five songs and when your girlfriend gets killed, what yeah. would you do? <laughs> What's the fucking um, list, dude? But The Grifters is also a terrific 
For real great film. I never saw it. I never saw The Grifters. What? Never saw it. Dude, you're in for a fucking treat. Good. This is you. It's the dog track. It's grifting. Oh, fuck. It's fucking gangsters. I gotta see this. Yeah, and everybody in it's terrific. Shit. Um, all right, but if you go back to some of his early stuff, did you ever see his sure thing? Because uh, I think that was like his first movie. It was about a kid trying to get laid. Yeah, yeah, he had I saw a sure thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, and Tim Robbins is the first time I ever saw Tim Robbins. And he was hilariously fucking weird in it. Young Tim Robbins. Um, this was on last night, or two nights ago. Identity. Have you ever watched that? Oh, yeah, kind I remember, of a, yeah. I remember when that came out, like, early 2000s. Uh, it's definitely a see-it-on-TV movie. I liked Terrific. it. Terrific. All right, here's another weird one for you. Pushing Tin. I fucking love Pushing Tin. And that movie made me want to be a fucking one of those goddamn uh, flight operators, whatever. The guys that operate the radar. Now, it's almost, <laughs> yeah, it's really fucking great. Now, it's almost a cliche. No, it is a cliche to say, say anything. But that fucking movie's terrific. Out of all the teen movies, that's the best one that's ever been done. Also, there's one crazy summer. That one's good, too. Oh, I forgot about that one. It's <laughs> the one I fucking... What I've... was the one where he played Lane and the kid was chasing him around? Oh, uh... I want my two dollars. Is that fucking... It's when he was uh, fucking skiing? Yeah, he was like a skier. It was a ridiculously bad fucking film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but and that... yet, you, you watch it. You put it on. Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead. And then out of all the weird Jerry Brockheimers, Con Air, <laughs> as yeah. stupid and ridiculous as it is, it's got a lot of great people in it, and it's really kind of a, a fun popcorn movie. I mean, if some people would call it like a guilty fucking pleasure. It's good. But I don't even think you should be guilty about your pleasures. If you have something that works and all these great... Actors that are all overacting. Yeah. Steve Buscemi, Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich, Ving Rhames, Steve Buscemi. It's, everyone's in that. John, uh, Dave Chappelle. I forgot that part of it. Yeah. So Cusack is fucking terrific. Uh, and he's playing in uh, The Raven. Um, we're going to have uh, the inter- uh, him just a little bit. It's Ron Bennington interviews John Cusack. All right, Cusack in the house. Cusack in the hizzle. Oh, Billy Mount John Malkovich. I did say that, and you were like, well, that blows. <laughs> Fuck Charlie Kaufman, he's a hack. And that was the beginning of it all. That was the beginning of the whole fucking Charlie. Whatever Charlie Kaufman does now, it will never surprise us the way that being John Malkovich surprised us. No, that fucked everybody up. Directed by Spike Jones. You got Spike Jones on the box. Malcolm what can I say? I'm a fan. What can I fucking say? I dig. I dig the guy. A little later on in the show, there's a book about creativity called Imagine. And uh, that's John Alaire.com. John Alaire. John Alaire. I keep Joan calling Alaire. him John. Make sure I don't do it when he comes in. I'll make sure. I mean, promise me right now I won't make that mistake. I promise you. Because if I do, yeah. I'll kill you. Oh, God. Well, thou, I really got to fucking lay this down. Did you just say thou? Possibly. Uh, Joan Allaire, imagine it's a book about creativity, which is uh, uh, terrific. And then, of course, um, to 
tomorrow uh, we'll be playing the Unmasked that we'll be recording after the show today. That's right. Nick Stoller, baby. Nick Stoller on top of the world, as I said earlier. Nick Stoller. Shocking it. He's dominating. In the meantime, what do we got going for us? We got nothing happening, man. Everything's happening. Everything's working out. Everything's going well. Fucking John Cusack's about to walk in here. So? It's great! No offense to him, but so fucking what? <laughs> it's, I think that would offend him. Really? Yeah. If I would have said him, I'd be like, I dig the cockiness. I'm fucking glad they feel that way. Glad they don't care that I'm here or not? If I was him, I'm saying, like, this fucking gives me a chance to up my shit, you okay. know? Okay. Like, I'm not coming in here lazy. I'm coming in here in a whole different fucking mindset now because I can see that there are, you know, first of all, I don't plan on talking to him about his career at all. Oh, you got to bring up Malkovich. Nope. So I've seen him talk about it too many times. Straight Raven? Yeah. I want to see that. I, I want to see that because I, I liked it. Why Paul don't you just fucking go with me when I, I go to, to these screenings? I screening, so bam. I get uh, it'd be a nice experience. It's otherwise I'm just watching on the computer screen. Yes, you're watching it on the shitty computer screen. I go into a screening room. Yeah. Where there's comfortable seating. Nice. Sometimes couches, sometimes the lean back chairs oh, that shit. have ottomans. Yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, we smoke fine hashish. What? And hash oil. <laughs> like Robin. only the finest, but yeah, you're seeing it in a nice, comfortable environment. There's no fucking teen kids sitting in front of you talking, you know. It's not the shit that you do with your life. Uh, it's that's it's my stuff usual. like me and John Cusack fucking roll. Oh man! All right, that's dope as fuck. That's the stuff that me and John Lair are all over. Jonah Lair, Jonah. You just called him Donut Lair, and if I had a Donut Lair, I'd never come out of it. I'd. <laughs> Mm. Constantly be in there, hiding out from Batman, eating donuts. Batman ain't never going to find you. Let me just tell you something else about John Cusack before okay. uh, we do this. John Cusack could have been anything, anyway, anyhow. He could have played any Hollywood game. He could have went the straight indie route, whatever he wanted to do. That was his. That's the kind of talent he had as a little kid. So when you see him doing stuff, you're like... That's the way he picked to do it. Now, whether he would do it the same, I don't know. I can't speak for other people. But he definitely did make his choices. Where a lot of the actors of his generation who chose to be Brat Packers. Yeah, the, right? it, the it kid. Uh, some of them, most of them, at best, are working on TV now. But John Cusack is still a bona fide fucking movie star. He's cranking them out. He's cranking out like giant fucking blockbusters like 2012, you know? And, and, yeah, and he's doing stuff like that, but also he just did five films that we could put up against anybody. Yeah, def yeah definitely. He's all over the place. He's Like, you great. hate to take a guy and you're like, hey, he's got a 30-year career of starring in films and call him underrated. But in a way, he kind of is. Because he's never the... You know, number one box office star of the world. No, but I always like it when it, when I say it comes up in a movie, though, because it's John Cusack. I didn't say that, Chris. You're fucking fighting with somebody who's on your side. I'm always fighting. I'm fucking backing you a million percent. The statue hasn't moved during this. Come at on, all. Move it around. We'll let them joints. Well, that's the Tin Man. It's not a statue. You like That's pushing the... tin. There you are. 
Where you been, buddy? Locked? A little locked, yeah. Billy Bob was great in Pushington and Angelina Jolie. That's when they were married. I didn't. I, it was one of those films I told Fez not to watch. Yeah, I wasn't going to go near it. Because it was a it. scary airplane movie, and now the fact that you're bringing it up again. Sorry. And it was about our airport. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it was about, yeah. Love it. But you won't fucking get off of it. It's a good movie. That's all I'm saying. That's all you're saying. What about what I'm fucking saying, dude? I what about it. what's going on in my fucking head right no now? No more pushing ten talk. Fez, don't see that movie. I'm not going to. No matter how much it made you want to be a flight operator. So kind of think about doing it. It seemed for this from the film. <laughs> I know. You, you're not going to believe this, but there was a time I had a guy told me that I could get, get me into that job. Really? Yeah, these guys like, there's going to be some openings. And I'm like, dude, I got no fucking background in that. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Once you get in... Not, no training is going to get you ready for this. Yeah, once you're just You doing need it. to be trained there with them, you know? And I'm like, I'm kind of the fuck-up guy at work, you know what I mean? Like, this is before I started doing anything <laughs> yeah. with my fucking personality, and I was just going to regular jobs and taking this mm-hmm. personality with it. I'm like, I'm kind of the guy that likes to fuck off. I like to show up late. I like to leave early. I like to find places to sleep. I steal shit. I bring my friends around. <laughs> you know, I don't know... If I want the responsibility of landing 250 people in a Pringles can safely. Yeah, every minute because. Oh, it's nonstop. The traffic around this place is nuts. Uh, any place you go in the country, it's fucking busy. You don't go to unbusy fucking airports these days. And they're always getting fucked up, those guys. It seems really fun. So, I mean, it wasn't even something that I looked into. It was uh, something that I thought, oh, I should never even attempt. Like- this is something that shouldn't be in my <laughs> fucking world. And there's like age cutoffs now because if you if you, they're too old, they don't trust your fucking reflexes or some shit. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that you don't want to fucking, you know, come into that whole game when you're getting older. You got to do it young. Yeah, and just fucking have it ingrained in you. All right, this is a uh, New York subway ad. It's up on the eBay today. And see if you find this offensive. Okay. Um, it basically says this. If the fan did it, always offer your seat to a pregnant woman unless she's wearing a Red Sox hat is the joke. Okay. Um Yankees fans are going to love that. Do you think it's offensive, though? Uh, no. Yeah, I do. I what? think. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, I think it, what if some pregnant woman did have a Red Sox cap on? Well, that's not on I the ad. That, that's on the person. I think it's an anti-pregnant woman. But here's the thing. Do you have to listen to an ad? Or do <laughs> yeah. you have, could you look up and go, that ad is so silly and funny. <laughs> I get a kick out of it. And yet. I would not want to live that way. No, this pregnant woman does whatever. Just have her sit down. She's got, you know, this baby inside of her. You know what I'm saying? Like, can't we laugh at ads as, hey, that's great. That's a great, but still not actually go and do it? I can. Fezzy? Um, I don't know. It's, to me, it's like pregnant women on the subway always look like they're in 
distress anyway? Like it's such a labor to try to get around on the subway? Fez, do you believe the ad and then not give it like, oh, I would normally give my seat to this woman. But because of this ad, I'm going to be mean to her. I don't think a person would do that. I would hope not. You're killing me. The You're killing me. me. It's a yes or no here. You can't do the thinking. Or I, I, you know people are not going to take the ad. It's a cute little fucking ad. Next time I see a woman, a, a pregnant woman in a red socks here, I'm going to push her over. It doesn't make... And this is why we need to get you definitive. So you know where you're going. You know what I mean? So you know whether you believe or not that an ad would make a sane pe- a person do something that was... Um, fucking suddenly insane. It's just having a joke of saying Boston Red Sox are a nemesis. Boo. Here's the real truth that I found out about New York. And it hates, it hurts me to say this as a person that grew up in Philly. New York and Boston love each other and they have a bromance going on and they're crazy about each other. And I wanted it to be New York and Philly. Hmm. But New York is even closer to Philly. It was if hour and a half you really haul ass. I think if by car. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's fucking takes you an hour to get some places in Brooklyn by car. <laughs> Seriously, it's fucking nightmare. You go to goddamn South Bay Ridge. It's fucking. I know. I stay out of. You know, I actually say this all the time. I I want to go over to Brooklyn for vacation <laughs> and just spend some time like eating at all these great things that I see on TV because I don't want to go back and forth there. It's over a case ridiculous. The, oh, take the train, you're there in an hour and ten. Well, that's a fucking trip to me. That's not a commute. I only taken the train for more than a half hour. I don't want to be underground for an hour. That's fucking sick. Uh, A coal miner should do that, not a person. No, I have the first 45 minutes. minutes You get back up up top. That's a fact. That's why it takes so long. You're stopping at the fucking stops. All right, um, so we've got uh, to get this going. Yep, Cusack's here. Uh, Mr. John Cusack. The Raven uh, comes out in theaters tomorrow, Friday, April 27th. Uh, check it out at theraven.com. Next week. Uh, oh, that's next week? Week yeah. from tomorrow. I don't even know fucking dates anymore. This is how fucking stupid I am. I got you. I don't know ragged. fucking dates. I got you going all sorts of places. Um, but I'll tell you, I hadn't thought about Edgar Allan Poe since I was a kid. No. It's one of those things that, like Shakespeare, it's fucking hard to read when they make you. So you're like, I don't want to read this. This is fucking not easy. <laughs> uh, but now I'm like, after saying this, like, yes, I fucking forgot that this guy was the start of it all. I should get back into him. Um, and this is kind of a detective movie. It's kind of like Seven. Oh, hell yeah. But Edgar Allan Poe is in it. It's like a throwback Seven. Here's what happens. I'm going to give it away for you. A serial killer starts fucking killing people all yeah. around Edgar Allan Poe right. using Edgar Allan Poe's stories. Oh, that's fucked up. So who could it be? Is it the fucking guy who did this? Is it the guy who did that? Is it Poe? You know, is it Poe himself because he doesn't even know what he's doing because of the drugs? Yeah. Now, as just a Hollywood concept piece, is that fucking good or what? That it's idea. It's awesome. So, yeah, it doesn't take you long to buy into it. What's weird is you don't see period pieces in so long that you're like, what? Horses? America never had those. America doesn't make a lot of fucking uh, pre-Civil War things. 
The Civil War is normally like the beginning for us. Yeah, we don't give a fuck otherwise. We've only made a couple of Revolutionary War films. A couple about the start of the fucking country. You think Americans would be completely fucking interested in that? Like 1492 wouldn't count, right? Like the Christopher Christopher Columbus movies that came out like in the 90s? Because that was him discovering America. No, I'm talking about like a Ben Franklin movie is never fucking Oh, yeah, that's not happening. And Thomas Jefferson. And, you know, I mean, they've happened, but they're incredibly rare. When you think of how many times we're ready to look at about a movie about the 80s. Well, like, oh, look at the clothes they wore. It was crazy. crazy. The giant cell phone. So here it is. It's the 1850s. It's Edgar Allan Poe. The dude is, and I hate to make him wait forever, but i got to explain this again. Uh, he's going around killing people based on the Edgar Allan Poe fucking stories. So it's a really uh, great little concept. And John Cusack, as we've said before, is one of those actors we all will say he's a great actor. We agree to this. Yes. yes. But we also take him for granted. We just expect him to be great. It's like Cusack's here. We you don't give it. him the Academy Award nominations, but we don't throw him over with the cheesy fucking dudes either. You know? No, he stays away, far away from them. So let's bring him in. Mr. John Cusack. John Cusack in studio with us. The Raven comes out in theaters everywhere Friday, April 27th. The story of, uh, well, it's a fictional story that you've done of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I am wa- when I was watching the film and thinking about uh, Poe, which quite honestly I probably haven't since high school, you know, uh, but probably ev- everything that we think about American writers Starts with that. And I'm not so much even his writing, but just his attitude and the way that he lived his life. Yeah, he was like one of the first lunatic writers. Yeah. Uh, first famous guy. First guy who was famous for being a writer, tried to make a living only being a writer. And uh, he was also, you know, that first guy who was sort of at war with the world. Right, right. So and, it, uh, it reminded me, as you're watching this, you think, well, yeah, Hemingway kind of lived his life the same way, and Mailer and Hunter Absolutely. Thompson, doesn't yeah, matter yeah. who you're talking Burroughs, about. Yeah. Um, they yeah. all had these, uh, you know, the, they had to be bigger than their writing somehow to be mm-hmm. famous. And then they also needed to to have public fights with other writers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was all, uh, and that, you know, the, the, the genius writers behaving badly and mm-hmm. being peevish and uh, almost being... Um, a fodder for the critics and uh, for, you know, an intellectual criticism that was actually underhanded and backhanded. And right. These personal vendettas and feuds between intellectuals. You, you saw it somewhat like with like Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley in politics. Yeah. And you used to see it in literature more, you know, where, where they would sort of fight that out. And it would kind of, it, it's almost like the hip hop kids picked it up because it would help both products. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It would make you think, 
wow, now I got to go, you know, if Mailer hates of Dow, then I've got to find out why, you know, mm-hmm. and it would get you following this yeah. uh, story. And Poe said, they said to Poe, you have many enemies. And he says, you say I have many enemies. You know, would you please give me their names? Like he was <laughs> like, you would never back up from it. Well, because you're so good at it, you know, it's almost like, yes, of course I want to be in a battle. You know what I mean? It's almost like if. Uh, you're a good wrestler. You're dying to be in a great wrestling match. You yeah, know? but he also, um, I think he he legitimately wanted the spotlight on himself. So mm-hmm. he said Wordsworth and Longfellow and all these other poets of the day. I mean, he didn't just say they were bad. He said they were like fish wrap. Right, like right. They were, they were garbage. There was no value. <laughs> none, none whatsoever. So he was very kind of... Um, he was a real wild character, for sure. Uh, and obviously sad and, you know, damaged and soulful and kind of fantastic, too. But there's also a, um, a courage in the honesty that, of their self-expression. When right. they talk about even their own demons or their own vanities or, the, you know, they're just like out there like as pioneers and explorers and, you know... Let them let them attack. Well, I wonder too. Like, do you need to get that far for your art? Like, you think about Richard Pryor, who was practice practically killing himself for a stand up at his peak. Mm-hmm. You know, where you were looking at him, you're like, this is so honest, so you know, as far as a human being can go with it. And I kind of look back and see Poe. You know, Poe was doing the same exact thing. Let me try to feel every fucking thing I could possibly feel so i can explain it to the audience yeah and um you know or like maybe lenny bruce or right kurt cobain yeah you know there's something of the outcast and the loner and the uh you know, i think artists uh always feel like they're a little bit of like orphans you know mm-hmm. either by design or literally and he was um like uh, the perpetual orphan of the world like he was ab- alone abandoned friendless you know mm-hmm. penniless wandering graveyards by himself and I think he cultivated that too, and um, it takes a kind of a ferocious mind. I think, first of all, he was a junkie, right? So he's an alcoholic sure. for sure, born alcoholic, not wired right, too fucking high strung, yeah, too tight. But he also was like, it's a certain kind of mind. And Hunter Hunter Thompson had that mind. Burroughs had that mind. Where most people have a nightmare and they want to wake up from it, but there's a few people who have a nightmare and they're like, oh, I want to go deeper in, right. And there's not that many people like that. Yeah. You know? I mean, the nightmare to be wished for, earnestly wished for. Yeah. You know, the, t- talking about the attraction of the abyss, the romance with the abyss. And if you see all these writers, these modern writers or modern artists, it pretty much all stems from Poe. Uh, and then when you see a Hunter Thompson, you want to protect him when you're a fan. I remember being feeling this way when I was a kid. Like, please don't let this... I don't want the the writing to end. But at the same time... That's the thing that made him Hunter Thompson. You yeah, know that, I mean? that edge. You know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Poe was straddling this world and the underworld. He was mm-hmm. straddling. He was always looking for that twilight between waking and dreaming and life and death and sanity and insanity and whatever that, you know, whatever that numinous, whatever that all was, that religious feeling he felt when beauty and death were around, you know. He wanted to surf that thing and he was going to take it all away. Uh, There's something we love about that, just yeah. because maybe we, we don't have the guts to go that deep. Right. And it is, you know, the mystery. It is the mystery, uh, and it stays there. Yeah. You know? And he's also, um, he's also like, a, um, he's working out his demons, too. You know, he was, um, he did 
die. Every woman that he loved died coughing up blood in his arms. Right. So he was haunted by that, you know, and imposed stories that dead never stay dead. Yeah. And um, so he was, he had the courage to take all this stuff. He, he was, look, he was, I don't, I don't know if we'd like him if we saw him here. You know, sure, him, right. I don't know if we really liked the guy, but you'd probably respect him. But he did have the courage to take all that pain and turn it into something creative and try to process it in some way creatively. You know, he was he was pretty courageous that way. Well, you guys have done this as a detective story, and this I wasn't even aware of. This is the beginning of detective stories, was Poe. Nobody was doing this before. Nobody did the, <clears throat> like, forensics of a right. reacting a crime scene, no. Which is stunning. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle based Sherlock Holmes on Inspector Dauphine. I think that's how you pronounce it, a, a French uh, inspector that was the basis for Sherlock Holmes. So up to that point, and, and I think what's kind of cool about this is that you do it, do it as a detective, not an action film, but it's really old-school detective work, you yeah. know, uh, of use. And, you know, like you said, this is what everything's based on today. But that... Yeah, the conceit of it was sort of what's like Poe, if, if Poe became a subject for a copycat serial killer. Right. And then, so the police then have to uh, partner up, like a, a very straight-laced police captain and, and Poe have to partner up and try to figure out the mind of Poe. Then you have Poe deconstructing Poe. Poe, yeah. And also getting caught in his own madness, which is one of his themes, which is like... Um, you know, is he going insane? You know, the dream within a dream kind of me sure. meta Poe thing, yeah. right? So it seems like it would be like a Poe genre. Yeah. One of his genre things that, so that's a good way to kind of get into his stories. Where did you guys shoot this at? Because by the way, it's filmed just really beautifully. It's really kind of dark and just locked in. And, and oddly, we don't do a lot of period pieces in America. Uh, so just to see a period piece, you're like, holy shit, that's right. Yeah. You know, it's very rare for us to do that anymore. We shot it in uh, Hungary and in Serbia. Yeah. So Budapest and Serbia. So it was nice. It was uh, it was winter and it was we were shooting nights and, you know, we had, you're in weird, rainy, cold-ass Serbia with a head full of Poe. You know, yeah. Three in the morning. It was It, 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 was, it worked. <laughs> yeah. How long does it take before you go, all right, I Insane. can't play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the, before you go, can you cross over? You know what I mean? Can you make the move into this guy's, you know, boots and, well, and do it correctly? I know you, first of all, I, I knew you can't do the definitive. You can't do it all. Right. You know, so don't try to do that, but just try to, you know, he was sort of into the underworld and he was in the unconscious. So if you can get deep enough into it where you feel that. Yeah. Um, this is our dream of Poe, and like Lou Reed has had his. He was right. he made the Raven album. So, and there should be others. You know? Yeah, but this is this is a this is one dream about Poe. I think I tried to get into like I tried to go as deep as I could into it, and um, you know I don't have any. I, I read as much as I could about him, and then I just tried to immerse myself in the kind of the the feelings of that underworld. You and know, the, the movie, if you can feel the underworld in the movie, yeah. then you'll want to go read his books. Right. And then it's probably a good movie. Well, that was the great thing That's about it, too. But because when I'm watching this, and it does, like like with Aww. any film, you have to have that moment that it kicks in. Like, at first, the film starts, oh, there's John Cusack, and he's got a beard. But before you know where, it... Where did it kick in for you? Uh, it was probably just about when he started to... Um, when he stopped the uh, coach... 
and jumped in the back seat. And you know what I mean? What you get that feeling of, all right, we're in another world, and this is the way you carry yourself in this world, and there's a formality to it, but at the same time, he's reckless. And then you, you know, you just kind of fade off into that, which I always love. But what got to me is like, shit, man, I haven't really read this since I was a kid, since it was forced on me. That's you know, right. that's what that's what I felt. And when you are listening to, uh, when you are doing these lines, and uh, and you're like, yeah, that's that shit is a lot better than I ever gave him credit for. Yeah, it you is. know, it really is. It's really weird that we get for when some of that stuff gets forced on us when we're kids. It almost makes us take a yeah, step it, back. It was it was a part of the curriculum, and I think, um, you know. Uh, it becomes two-dimensional after a while. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, he's the scary, sad Halloween guy. And right. He's got the little mustache. And it becomes like a postage stamp. Yeah. But if you read it again, there's a reason he was uh, he was famous. He was It was great, weird, twisted, fucked yeah. up stuff. Everybody that ever liked Ozzy or whatever would love this stuff. Well, you can't even think of I mean, we could you could spend a whole hour thinking about all the different music, literature, acting. Mm-hmm all the stuff that's sort of influenced by that. But certainly all the goth punk sort of scene, you know, seems to be... Yeah. And oddly, I even though... I think of, like, Lady Gaga's doing stage blood and doing her thing now. Right. And, you know... Uh, Cooper, who, Alice Cooper did Alice that. Alice Cooper, who was the guy... Uh, Marilyn Manson. Right. All this kind of, you know, all the, that whole cottage industry that came out of this sort of, you know, graveyard shifts. And then the other thing, too, New York Magazine just did, like, the biggest scandals of New York history, and Poe was in there because... Of the extramarital affairs that caught on, and that was a gigantic thing for gossip magazines at the time. Although a lot of that, I think, might have been untrue, because uh, I don't think I think he was a one-woman mm-hmm. man. Uh, I just think he um, needed the company of women. He needed to be validated by 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 success. And right. He was always looking for patrons too, so I think he probably romanced a lot of women, like with letters. Yeah, to try to get their favor, but uh, I don't have a sense that he was a real playboy. I think he was too kind of too in his head, too and, ethereal. And you know, at the same time, I do. Think... But, he, but he was also there's him and Griswold and the other. Yeah. they were all assassinating each other's characters all the yeah. time. So they were all like scurrilous rumors, and you know, yeah. But I think every artist has to also think that they're attractive to women, no matter what they look <clears throat> like or what they do. They've there's. A constant seduction that takes place. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think, and I think also he was uh, given, given his pattern with women. He was constantly looking for the eternal feminine. I think that's sort of like where his like religious feeling was. Uh, is I think he was just like looking for, you know, a mother or you know, right. some guy. He, he he didn't believe in, or he said he didn't believe in God because he said he, he said I would never. I, my whole being revolts to the idea that there's a being in the universe superior to me. Right. Like, I mean, he would say that, yeah. and like, but not, not like on the radio here, yeah, right. but like put it in print when it was yeah. really hard to print books, like, yeah. which is a different thing. It yeah. wasn't a flippant comment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he put his, uh, that feeling, that that need for that religious sort of feeling into the, this kind of the life after death and like beauty you yeah. know, as a poet. And, and so he said, there's, there's nothing that can be more dramatic than a dying woman a beautiful dying woman that's the, wow. that's the height of you know absolute drama and that's what he sort of wrote about but i, I think he so he, i think he needed women he needed mm-hmm. like he needed to feel it and he was always searching for that for that feminine well it's strange in western religion we never had the the goddess you know now i grew up catholic so we had the so virgin mary 
So that's well, that's her. Yeah, that's yeah. When I was a kid, I would only pray to the Virgin Mary because I didn't like to ask men for things. You know what I mean? It's like if I would go home, if I was in trouble, I'd talk to my mom, go talk to dad, and get this shit straightened out. And then I realized when I was older, I used to pray the same way. I would literally go to the female part of it and go, make everything okay. And you know how to do it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I do think that 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 that. that, that Probably is why he was attracted to that, you know, that feminine thing that you need, yeah, you know, and also uh, just as a, a, a lover of, uh, of beauty and, and reading the other poets who had talked about it. And I think he was in he felt love. I think he like loved yeah. his mom. I think he loved Virginia, his, even though mm -hmm. it was scandalous and she was 13. He was 26. I think he had I think he truly did love. He was. He was a he was a real bastard with men, mm -hmm. but I think he, he he was a paradox. He was a, like opposites at once. Yeah, he was soulful and loving and absolutely selfish and vain and self destructive and all at once. And how strange and maybe even more more advanced was the newspaper business in those days, where you could get works of fiction in it, and you know uh, just great writing. I mean, you must have had to be, you know, somewhat really literate just to follow along. With a newspaper in those days. Yeah, absolutely. And also um, to probably, you know, you think about how hard it was to make them, you know. Yeah. To set the type and to do all that stuff, you know. And he was doing that as well, right? You just don't That's write. how he was making his living. He was one of the first guys to really try to make a living only as a writer. And mm -hmm. not, you know, not coming from money or having other sources. or He was just trying to make a living. I'm a professional writer. And no one really had done that in the States. And you talk about that attraction to beauty. And I wonder if that's even around in our art anymore, where we want to actually, we want to be entertained now and we want to laugh at things. But do we really want to hold something up? And well, I think we want sensation now. We, yeah. want, we want sex and we want, uh, you know, we, we want it in a, in a junkieistic way. But I think probably the, um, I don't know, I was thinking in our society now, it's like there's, there's, there, there's like the tech gods, like, you know, we're supposed right. to. Supposed to pray to Steve Jobs, and right. you, know, you know the the new guys come out with the new screen, so they're, they're the they're the oracles, and then somehow like the, the economists, right? They're supposed to right. Like, they're supposed to be supposed to you know they're the they're the priests of yeah. you know of commerce, um, money and yeah. uh, the screens. Yeah, shiny screens talking about money, so we can get more shiny screens. Yeah, you know, like I, I just find it interesting that like, even when you get the iPhone, you can't take the stock market app off. They won't even let right. you take it off. It's just orthodoxy. Right? Yeah. We must bow to them. And we never complain about anybody who does anything for money. You know, like people will get mad. Let's say George Clooney gets involved in something political. People will say, well, what does he know about that? But if he's selling wristwatches on TV, everyone's just like, hey, it's great. You know, he, he doesn't know anything about selling watches, yet we will buy into that opinion. George Clooney likes cologne. Great. George Clooney wants us to help out in this country. Hey, you're crossing a line there, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, everything's, uh, it's the world upside down, man. It is. In the world we're in now. But like I always thought, uh, I was, I always hated uh, endorsements. Now I'd love to do an endorsement. Yeah. You know? Like, because I thought I'd rather do an endorsement than a bad movie. Right. <laughs> if you really, do you know what I mean? I'd rather, yeah. like, I'd rather just like do it in a day or two, and then go take, make one of my small m movies that I like again, and and not do a big. It just takes too long. And no one will ever get mad at anyone who does an endorsement, Bob, but they'll get Bob, angry. But I, it. I, I stopped being mad at endorsements because it's like Bob Dylan did them. Yeah. And I was like, what am I talking? 
Who cares? What, what do I think? Bob yeah. Dylan doesn't. Bob Dylan doesn't. I'm never going to be cooler than Bob Dylan. And so I just remember going to him like, hey, he's so edgy. Look at him doing an endorsement. That's brilliant. <laughs> I know. Well, he get anything he does, right? Anything he does, he gets away with. Um, John Cusack, thank you so much for coming in. Poe is, uh, the, the movie is called The Raven, uh, where you're playing Edgar Allan Poe yeah. as a detective. Thanks so much for stopping by, man. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, I hope to see you next time through. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Ron and Fez. The Ron and Fez Show. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City. Spatula City. And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. The Ron and Fez show. Uh, John Cusack was a lot of fun to have in here, and he does know his Poe. I thought I'd try to swing it around on him a little bit, trying to get say so He's a really quick guy. He's a lover. He's awesome. Yeah, I like him in a big, big way. Um, up on the iBank today, one of my favorite things that we've ever uh, posted up there, of course, was the girls in the center of their own universe. Coming up at 3 o'clock... There's a new posting that'll go up that hmm, it'll have something to do with chicks. I'll just leave it at that. Oh shit. I will leave it at that. Um, but we're going to have Jonah Lair coming up a little bit. We'll have his book, Imagine, signed. Will you uh, pay attention to that, Fez? Yeah. Can I count on you? Yes, you can count on me. So um, if you want to... Send him um, something. It's at Jonah Lair as we start. Be a first responder. And we'll pick one of those folks out and send him the book. It'll also be up on the iBang uh, Twitter account. Um, it's, it's a very, very exciting day. I know we've got the unmasked coming up in a little bit. And you say you now see this as your adopted baby, the unmasked. That's right. Mr. Nick Stoller. This unmasked, it's become mine. I've taken it. I've adopted it, and I'm trying to give it all the love and care I can. Now, do because you gave him the idea of taking the unmasked and putting a pillow over its head in its crib, pushing down until the unmasked kicks and then finally dies. No, I will uh, never kill. Before it gets to be 3 o'clock, I do want to take a look at uh, girls at the center of their own universe. And... Um, some of these girls should not be taking pictures of themselves, but there's a lot of beautiful girls in here as well. Oh, yeah. Lovely ladies. That's a lovely girl. They, they, but do you think they all look like titty dancers once they take pictures of themselves? Yeah, this girl right here is a stripper. I have problems with that much tat, and I know 
you love the Tets. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think it's too much. It's and, borderline. It's it's getting there, but and yet you don't get a tattoo yourself. No, I fucking I, I can't make a decision like that. Do you know in your age group now that makes you the rebel because you are in the minority? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck it. They'll be like, that dude's on the edge. He doesn't have any ink at all. That's right, baby. Nothing even ironically classifies him. Mm-mm. Nice and clean cut. That's me, boys. Um, Fez, for you, you've got the tattoos, but do you wish you didn't know? Um, yeah, because there's like, there's even still now moments where I'll like catch a glimpse of one of the tattoos in the bathroom mirror, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and it's like, all right, that just looks like a mess. But also, you know, now that you're ready to go into gay world, dating for the first time, these things define you in a way that you would not be defined. Like, let's suppose your tattoos are Batman, uh-huh. uh, the Buccaneers, right. the Tampa Bay Lightning, who you never even followed. Never saw a game. And that's it? That's it, those three. Now, if someone looked at you and said, let's suppose it's a gay guy, and he doesn't like sports, um, he might be thinking, well, that's not the guy for me. I don't want to be, you know. Constant NHL, yeah. NFL. Because he, Fez has given off this vibe that's, when you think about it, kind of anti-gay of like, hey, I'm a jock, dude. I'm a frat boy. Yeah, I'm going to beat up some people. Oh, and I also like Batman movies from the 80s. That's my shit right there, dude. Well, actually, it was early 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that, that one, yeah. 89 is when it started. So, And uh, that's what, that's another reason why I'd really like to just not take off my shirt when I do end up having sex. Also oh. up on the iBang today, the top 10 athlete performances on SNL. I think people are going back to that now because Eli is doing it. He's slayed to go. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, Peyton didn't do awful when he no, was on the show. Peyton did a good job. But most athletes stink. Uh, Charles Barkley, I think, is naturally funny, but that might be just because his timing, no matter what he's saying, is funny. <laughs> he's the shit everywhere you know, he He's goes. so dry and annoying. Uh, but it, don't you think it's rare to get, like, oh, Saturday Night Live, they've got a... A fucking, you know, athlete on there. This is great. It's hard to um, be excited about that unless you want to just see a train wreck. Yeah. Because I think more often than not, you're going to catch those things. I remember Michael Jordan being on and not him not being particularly good. Well, Michael Jordan, I think they even tried to do from a bigger place because they tried to act like, this is too big to do for Saturday Night Live. This is crazy, Jordan. I, I know it was prime time. It was that big. Wow. They prime timed him. Tom Brady was on the list. I don't remember him being particularly good. Peyton did it. Uh, Michael Phelps was awful. Jesus I remember. Yeah. Uh, Peyton was actually, he had a, one funny sketch, I remember. But the uh, the opening that he did was really awful. Nancy Kerrigan, I don't remember her. Oh, shit, I do. I remember Nancy Kerrigan. I don't I remember, remember that. I was remember it really, it, really yeah, bad? Like the early 90s? Well, first of all, been. not only could these people not do this, a lot of them don't, can't even move over to broadcasting. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a lot of people that are awful. Uh, George Steinbrenner did it and at the time because he was crazy George Steinbrenner. Everybody kind of liked it. He was almost like the Donald Trump of his time. Uh, OJ, I believe, was very, very 
early on. Um, what about Fez, one of your heroes, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? That one wasn't all that great. They tried to really put him into... I remember he did a uh, Mr. Peepers sketch. He's done it a couple times. He's yeah. done the show twice. And the first one where all the other WWE guys showed up, Foley I thought was giant. cute. Yeah. I really liked that a lot. Um, and he also played um, Barack Obama, if you remember. Oh, like, yeah. It's great to be back. By the way, this is all up on the iBang today. You can write in as well some of the best and worst. Uh, we're waiting for, I guess, uh, Jonah Lair. Jonah Lair. His new book, Imagine, is about creativity, which has always been one of the more interesting things to me. Um, LeBron James did it. Do you remember him at all? I don't remember the LeBron one. I think it was very, very early on when he wasn't even 21 yet. Jeez. I think he was a, a really young guy the first time that he did it. We forget, like, LeBron's only like 26 or 27, but it feels like he's been around for a decade. Well, he, he almost comes off as an old guy. He aged really quick, too. He does, he, even when he went into the league, he didn't have, like, no, a kid's face. You're right. He always looked like uh, LeBron. Speaking of which, does John Cusack just look like John Cusack? He looks like the same John Cusack from 16 Candles. He doesn't. Well, he, he, does, he looks like more of a man, but. Unlike most people like that you went to high school with, where you're like, what? Really? <laughs> Great. But he still looks like John Cusack. Um, uh, Derek Jeter, uh, of course, is also on the list. That was one where the athlete's on there, so we'll put him in drag. They do drag a lot with sports stars, don't they? Yeah, to try to. It, it, let's just do as something as opposite to him as possible. But even when you're in school, like the pep rally, like, oh, here comes the football team out and cheerleaders. And everyone's laughing like it's great. And you're like, why is this funny? Because they're dudes. Yeah, all right. Well, they're white dudes. Let's put them in blackface and see if we're all still laughing. Oh, my God. See? No, we would not be laughing. That the would way be very you reacted to that. Offensive. They, I mean, I want to hurt the program. All right, that's up on the iBang, of course, coming up at 3 o'clock. It's that thing that we do where you get to see some new chick figures, and we're doing that every day at 3 now. There you go. How you like that shit? Give it a little bump. Get a taste for yourself. By the way, the site is just busy around the clock now, which is just so crazy and great. And these other sites are contacting us, and because we're not... Actually, naming it after us, they just contact and they go, "How did you get so many commenters so fast? What? How, How did you happening? guys come from nowhere to this?" How you like that shit? Yeah. Huh? Get it? I should just fucking have you send you over to their house, going, "How did it like me now?" That's right. I'll fucking blast that shit, Cusack style. Well, first of all, that isn't a Cusack style. <laughs> It's ridiculous. With the boombox outside yes, the house. He did it one fucking movie. I know. Drop it. All right, I will. Uh, all right, here's a little bit of trivia, though. Okay. And remember, I didn't. I went out of my way not to fucking bring up any of that shit to him. Yeah. When they when he did it in the movie, they played a different song. Oh fuck! I've heard this before. By a very famous band. Well, a kind of famous underground band. I, Are you I, trying to look it up? I I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not looking it up. I'm not looking it up. I will tell you right now. If you come up with it, the yeah. band, I'll give you a hundred. Fez, you, a thousand dollars. Wow. I'm gonna change that. 
Fez, $10,000. <laughs> and I'm going to throw that out there because Fez has never heard of the band, I believe. I, I don't, man, I, I, I couldn't even guess. I know I've heard it before. I've You're read, not even going to attempt it. I've read the fucking trivia quite. I've read this trivia before. You I, got a $100 guess. Take a $100 guess. Give me... You want title and artist? No, that band didn't exist then. Uh, give me... Prince? You fucking knew this already, you bastard. No. You fucking knew it. That's not it. Oh, fuck. All right, Fez, it's up to you. How much is, what was my offer? $10,000. You know what? Uh, I'm going to take that up. Put another zero. <gasps> this is a $100,000 bet. Wow. Oh, my God, Fez. I will say the Violent Femmes. Motherfucker. How do you even know that band? How do you know that band? We played them uh, sometimes in Florida. Um, the answer, of course, is no to that. It is Fishbone. Fishbone. Oh, Fishbone. I had a hundo. You would have had a hundred. He would have had a hundred thousand. <laughs> now, why did you try Violet Femmes? I was just trying to think of something around that time. Well, you would have been way off. Oh. But uh, from when we were in, in uh, doing that... Um, because that was like a movie at the end of the 80s. Uh, but give me, and when we were playing that kind of music, when we played the Violent Femmes, uh -huh. we weren't playing that at YNF. Okay. We never did. I was a crow. All right. So, then yeah. now I... Okay. I screwed right. up that. Yeah. How are you, uh, you didn't screw up anything. No, but... But, but, how old, but how old is that band? Oh, no, they've been around for a long they, time. Would they've been around when that movie was made? Yes. Okay, but when you said you, when we played it, we play we played at the station that we were at, at the Crow. It was much later than when uh, that movie came out. I thought that's what you're talking about. Okay, I'm yes. glad that we dragged this into a weird fucking clusterfuck of a strange place. <laughs> it's Fishbone. Fishbone's Fishbone. the band. I've read that before. I should be a fucking hundred dollars richer. I feel like a dick. Or you would have fucking just stayed and. Kept your mouth shut and then said to Fez, Fez, I'm on the fucking, you know, All right. for 75%, I've got the answer. Come on, you want 25 grand, baby? Come on. Let me tell you something. If you motherfuckers wanted that 100 grand from me, yeah. be prepared to come in shooting. Because I would have <laughs> fucking had a shootout before I so, handed over 100 fish grand. Fishbone, Ron, where's the money? <laughs> I'd rather hand you my baby than 100 grand. Big money. Howdy, Lockman, now. I'm going to get that shit on a fucking boombox. By the way, we've got uh, a guy who's written a book about creativity coming in. And this is one of those guys now, it's like almost he's like the, uh, he might as well be like the, um, you know how these pop guys write these thinking out of the box type mm -hmm. book and the tipping point. He's the newest of those. Friendly scientist. Yeah, and he's on the, yeah, he came in as a neuroscientist. And then he's trying to compare art with neuroscience. And I have to be honest up front here. I'm not completely buying. I don't know if you can figure out exactly how to be creative or what way. 
I think it's interesting though that he's taking a shot at it and he's trying to fucking actually apply. Yeah, because he's making that money. <laughs> no, I don't mean it in a bad way. But I don't know. You see, a lot of uh, really creative people are somewhat spiritual and believe that they're getting outside help. Uh, and that's been as old as the planet. And that's because it's such a mystery. You've heard how many times I've had songwriters on this show, and to a day, they don't know how they do it. Yeah. It's just it comes to them, and it's just out there. And... Now, it also interests me, why can people only write songs, like great songs, at a certain time of their life? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whether that's something that just happens when you're younger, and then you lose it as you get older, or you get fear. You know, a lot of people, I, I honestly don't believe that you can create if you have fear. I think you've got to embrace it and move through the fear. But I don't think that you could embrace something. You can create something great <clears throat> and know that if you get turned down, you don't eat. Yeah. That's, I mean, you have to have, like, work without a safety net, basically. That, that makes it real. Yes. And you have to believe that what you're doing is important. I believe that. Even if it's shit. You know what I mean? Even if you're, you're fucking writing a sign because you work in a 7-Eleven, you're trying to come up with a sign over the fucking oranges or something. And just get people to, to do it really shit. great, you've got to be like, all right, I got to come up with something fucking really cool here. <laughs> got to move these fucking oranges. And that's the weird thing about it. Like, at one fucking, in the book, you're having, like, something on Dylan. And in the next chapter, is like a guy who came up with a fucking disposable mop or something. <laughs> and I'm like, why are we comparing the two? You know what I mean? Like, isn't that really different? Yeah, but I guess it took both of them some sort of point of inspiration to come up with whatever. But are they the same thing? A mop is much different than a song. Yeah, or does it still come from the same place in the brain? See, I'm not saying, and to go back to what you said about Jonah Lair, yeah, it's really cool that he's writing this. I just don't know if I've come all the way over to agreeing. Now, the fact is, it doesn't mean that I don't, that I know the answer. So I'm a little bit agnostic about this. You know, he's showing up and say, hey, this is how it's done. There's a formula. Yeah, here's the things that you got to do. And for me to go, well, I'm not sure if I agree with that 100%. What do you think? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot easier <laughs> to say you were wrong than it is to come up with a better theory. Well, this is what really happens. I don't know what happens. I don't know, for me... From a creative point of view, what's the most interesting thing a human being that can come up with to be creative? We'll throw it around here. What do you got, Chris? Um, I think like like really like amazing like art, like maybe like uh, a painting, paintings. I think that's a beautiful that's, painting. That's some fucking really deep shit. What about for you, Fez? Um, I was gonna say a painting as well, just where you can manipulate colors into. It's interesting to get somebody to evoke emotion. Yeah, we don't know why. I mean, I don't know whether you can turn out and say, particularly in modern art, why one painting is great, the next one isn't. I don't even know if we can prove that that's true. You know what I mean? Like, you could say, hey, that looks like Chris. But when you look at another painting, and that looks like turmoil, I don't know. You know what I mean? (laughs) Whether you can ever say that's true, or whether it's just some critics who say, this is the one that's good, and the rest of us buy into it. I'm not... 100% sure on that. That would be a whole interesting show. 
I mean, songwriting to me is the most uh, beautiful, you know, magical thing. Poetry kills me. Fez, what you do, the jokes, the way they fly, I'm always amazed by humor. But I still think in America, the novel is the deep end of the pool. Because it is not just one line. It's just not one thing. It's over and over and over, and you've got to hold people throughout that book. Not only are you, do you have to write a great book, it's basically saying you've got to write thousands of great sentences that are all make sense together. I will enamor someone for hours and hours before, yeah. during and after. Right. And you've got to write it in a way that you use language that doesn't make me fucking struggle and at the same place doesn't make me feel like this is babyish or too easy. It's not an easy thing to pull off. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the reasons less and less people try it all the time. Yeah, like there's not too many modern novelists. I mean, like, like the v- not too many great ones like we used to have in this country. Yeah. Not too many great ones. No. Uh, no one came up with the film director. Interesting. I feel like a dick. And none of us came up with the really important creativity is science. You know what I mean? I mean, if you go around and think about people, how could you put anyone above Jonas Salk? You know what I mean? Who came up with a way to defeat a uh, an enemy that was destroying children. Talk about a guy who had a high-pressure fucking job. He came up with the idea how to protect children from a dark and mysterious fucking enemy. Polio, he defeated. That's fucked up. And he seems to have done it, like, more or less... Oh, polio's fucked. You know, on the side. You just hold it on your own knees like you had it? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just fucking typed in polio on the Google image, and then I just saw a second of it. Dude, I, I have that. a hard time when I see, like, something like that, too, not to react. That's why I have a hard time with any kind of paralyzed stuff, because I'm like, wait, I think I might be paralyzed right oh, now. Oh, no, you're, talking, no, you're not. Um, but here's something else about um, Jonas Salk that I don't know if people will ever understand for the rest of their fucking lives. When he had this, and he took it and said quickly, I want the rest of the world to have this. It's not for sale. This is for free for everybody. He essentially gave away billions and billions of dollars, not just for him, but for future generations in his family. Because it was the right thing to do. I can't see that happening today. I couldn't even see it happening then. You know what I mean? Like, even then, people were stunned. Like, if they got the AIDS, you know, the cure to AIDS or the cure to cancer, Pfizer would sell that to people, and then you'd have to get it through your fucking health insurance. Yes. That's how you do it. Uh, another thing in this book is basically we're not going to have those kind of geniuses anymore working solo. It's all going to be about groups. Collaboration coming up together. And shit. Like, we don't know who came up with the iPod because it's a fucking million guys. Yeah. I just happen to be one of them. Um, I, I did one part. I did this, like, I designed yeah. that button that fucking, you know, fucking sh- turns the shit. Um, so we will be gone from, you know, the Einstein types. Uh, the Edisons, and it'll just be about groups of people doing wonderful things, groups that come from all different ways, places. Wow. 
I don't even know if there's anyone around now that we would put in saying that's a, a brilliant fucking person. I mean, Steve Jobs was a brilliant designer, brilliant Business, manager, businessman. Bu- brilliant businessman. Was he a brilliant inventor? No. And even Wozniak, who kind of came up with that, people don't kind of give him the genius thing, you know? Bill Gates, I mean, he was a Same programmer. Thing. Yeah. But he, he is thought of as uh, a great entrepreneur. Uh, certainly, you'd have to think that the money that he's given away um, would put him down as one of the greatest philanthropists of all time. Well, he does is give his cash away. But is there something that he's ever come up with that you said, you see this little gadget here? That's all him. No, he was about pulling ideas and, you know, managing those people correctly and screaming a whole lot of them. Yeah. You know, when we normally think, you know, we think instead of inventors and all, we take it back to artists where you look at a guy who's, you know, kind of a singular task. But give me a direct. All right. Give me George Lucas, who. Fez, you you love, right? Uh-huh. But when you look at what he's most famous for, it's really a thousand people, you know, that use their expertise in each part of that. And he gets the overall thing. Yeah, he brought And him. he deserves it. He's a director. He's kind of the main vision. But in the old days, you would have had to come up with everything yourself. All right. We got uh, Joan Allaire ready to go on the show today. Um I'm also reminding you that if you'd like to be a first responder at Joan Allaire, make sure somebody picks up a signed copy of the book. The new book, Imagine, is available in stores now and on Amazon.com. For more information, go to JoanAllaire.com. Let's bring him in. The author of uh, Imagine is Joan Allaire. John Lair in studio with us, and you've been interested in creativity for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I've always been drawn to the mystery of the creative process, you know. When we have one of those epiphanies, why they happen, uh, it's, it's a very mysterious mental moment. We can't explain why our best ideas come to us, when they do, or where they even came from in the first place. So I was really drawn to that mystery, trying to figure out where do our good ideas come from and how can we get more of them. You know, I've had so many songwriters, the greatest songwriters... Uh, of all time have come through here and done interview and I've never heard any of them take credit yeah. for the work that they've done I'm always hearing stuff like it just showed up yeah. or I feel like I'm a vessel but there seems to be an odd spirituality attached to the way they think about their work but you don't think it's that well I and mean, there is this long-standing myth that our best ideas come from the muses so in a sense we've outsourced the imagination we mm-hmm. have we have we have blamed our best songs our best poems our best ideas for novels our best gadgets 
on 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 the gods above. When mm. it turns out, they of course come from these three pounds of meat inside her head. Now, this is not to diminish the the romance or the magnificence of one of these big breakthroughs, one of these aha moments, these epiphanies. I think the reason we often talk about them in spiritual terms is because they feel like. Yeah, they feel yeah. that way. So, you know, one of the defining features of a moment of insight, as defined by scientists, is that the answer comes attached with a sense of revelation. It feels like the answer. As soon as it pops into our head, we know this is the song we were meant to write. So we don't have to double check the math or reread the lyrics. We know this is it. So that's gonna, that's always going to feel spiritual and magical and, and be tinged with wonder and mystery. And I don't think the science takes away from that at all. I think it makes it even more magical that we know how the brain actually produces it. But, but you know, my real beef with this myth about the muses is that I think it also feeds into this larger problem where too many people don't believe they're creative. They believe creativity is this rare gift, that unless you're a talented singer-songwriter, unless you're Pablo Picasso or Bob Dylan or Steve Jobs, that you just can't create. And so when you, like, for instance, ask high school seniors, do you think you're creative? Upwards of 90% of them say, no, I'm not creative. We beat the creativity out of them yeah. as, since they were little. Because when you're little, you honestly believe that you're a creative person. Absolutely. absolutely. At the same question to second graders, 95% of them say, yeah, I'm creative. I love to paint and draw and <laughs> sing and write. By fifth grade, it's down to about 50%. By the time they're high school seniors, the vast, vast majority say, nope, I don't have that gift. When, when I think what the science reveals, and this is the optimistic message of the research, is that we are all creative. It's a defining feature of human nature. Our mind is a connection machine. Now, this doesn't mean we're all going to be Bob Dylan, of course. Creativity is not evenly distributed, but it does mean that we can all get better at it. So even if we're not Bob Dylan, we can, if we work at it, pick up our own creativity. And part of that, how do we get back to that mindset of a second grader yeah. or... Are they all just stupid and know and haven't figured out just how bad they draw and write and do all these things? Um, I'm not sure I'd call it stupidity, but but brain development does play a role here. I mean, mm -hmm. educators call it the fourth grade slump. When it's about in fourth grade, where all of a sudden kids start saying, "You know what? I don't like my drawing. I don't like my painting. I don't like my short story." And this is in part because at about this time, a part of the brain called the frontal cortex comes online. It's the part of the brain that allows us to have that sensor inside our head, which tells us not to do stuff, mm -hmm. which helps us from eating the whole pint of haagen keeps us from just speaking out of turn, you know, allows us to act like mature adult and delay gratification. But I think it also makes it harder for us to create because now all of a sudden we got this voice saying, oh my God, you drew in the wrong place. Oh my God, you put the brush. Right. That, was, that, that was a terrible painting. Oh my God, your short story is no good. Um, and so... That voice is a problem, so I think that's why we really have to focus on third, fourth, fifth grade and really remind kids, you know what? You can make your drawing better if you put in the work, if you invest the thousands of hours of practice. Um, and oddly, real breakthrough stuff comes from people who, let's say, color outside of the lines yeah. because now they've invented something new, exactly. a different way of doing things. Exactly, and, and what you find when you look at successful improvisers, for instance, is they're able to become children again on command. So when you put like jazz pianists inside a brain scanner and you ask them to improvise, what you find is they're able to inhibit their inhibitions. So they're able to deactivate, in a sense, turn off a part of the brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex that's just behind the forehead. This is in a brain area very closely associated with self-control. Mm. So, you know, so it allows us to not eat, not eat stuff we shouldn't eat. It allows us to, you know, put money in a retirement savings account, to act like responsible, mature people. And, and, and yet it also keeps us from 
creating. It, you know, it also says, oh, don't play that note. Don't do that. Don't do that. It, it's that sensor. And in order to improvise, you have to be able to create without worrying about what you're creating. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, these jazz pianists, and I'd argue the same thing applies to stand-up comics. Um, I got to spend some time at Second City, the famous improv troupe in Chicago and L.A. And, and for them, it's all about getting out of your head. It's all about turning that voice off. So you can just walk out on stage and just let yourself go. Well, what happens to a lot of jazz musicians and stand-up comics is that when they walk off that stage, they'll also shoot dope or yeah. get in bad sexual relationships. Absolutely. So you need to keep this in a certain place. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great to be able to turn that voice back on right. once, you, once you leave the stage. But, but that's, I think, part of the difficulty of being in one of these professions um, is, is just turning it on and off just mm. when you're on stage. All right, before we get to Dylan, who, of course, is the mystery, I guess, of creative people that we have in America. But before we get to him, it's even almost a little more mysterious when you think about a one-trick pony, somebody who wrote a great song in, let's say, 1985, and that was it. Never it yeah. before, never again. How does that person suddenly just hit this one spot that's so phenomenal? This is just the serendipity of the creative process. Sometimes it's just about luck. Sometimes it's just about making that one connection, finding that one person who gives you the idea, and and then you'll spend the rest of your life trying to repeat it. Um, I, I, th- I think one of the challenges with whether it's managing creativity in a company or um, if you're a singer-songwriter trying to write another number one song mm-hmm. is is trying to make that magic happen again. Um, I, I think one of the things that makes creativity so tough to foster, so tough to somehow try to engineer from above is that it by definition involves serendipity. It involves making a connection that no one else has bumped into. A lot of those connections come from other people. They They, they come from, you know, totally accidental conversations you never knew to look for you just happen to it's all subconscious you mean or it's subconscious it's also just you know bumps on the sidewalk yeah um and 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 serendipity is just part of the creative process so the easiest way to answer why some people can write that one song and then can never do it again is because they just got lucky and and luck contingency serendipity this is part of the creative process this is this is just part of i think yet another reason why we've always blamed the muses uh, blame the muses or give credit to when we're writing candles. And, you know, there's so many people who just feel like if I do everything right, then God will grant me this. It was, uh, what was the Mozart movie that was, uh, yeah, Amadeus, where if he felt like he prayed properly. Yeah. And then he was so pissed off to see that God had blessed someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think what the science can do is make us more likely to have that creative breakthrough, make us more likely to write that great song. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the science doesn't come with a money-back guarantee. There's no, there's, there's no five things I can tell you to do and then guarantee that you're going to write right. a, a, a number one single. I mean, if creativity were that easy, Bob Dylan wouldn't be so famous. Well, um, let's, let's get into Bob Dylan uh, because he's probably America's greatest writer and most mysterious writer. You know, I was watching the... Uh, documentary that Scorsese did on him yeah. and just watching him type out songs totally. not play songs not just literally sit no. there and type them out and it did to take you back to the muse 
it seemed like this guy had another foot. Something yeah, totally. he had another foot in another You watch world. that footage in the various D.A. Penny Baker documentaries, yeah. Eat the Document, Don't Look Back, and my favorite scenes in that are when he's surrounded by so much chaos in these hotel rooms, mm-hmm. and he's just hunched over typewriter in the corner, chain smoking, just pecking away at the keys. Right. And then you look at his notes, and like you realize he's like banging out subterranean homesick blues. And it's you're insane. Like, it's insane. You're just, yeah. you're just in a hotel room, all these drunk, crazy people around you, these hangers-on, and, and you're just minding your own business writing a masterpiece. Um, and yet you're saying this is science. Don't well, get so romantic well, with the yeah. This is science. Yeah, because because I you know I think it's not giving Bob Dylan enough credit to just blame the gods to believe he was taking dictation. He wasn't taking dictation. He 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 was. This was coming from inside his head. And the story I tell and imagine is the story when Bob Dylan quit the singing songwriting business. So this is May 1965. He's been on this grueling tour, just finished the UK tour. Uh, and, and he's burnt out. He has no idea what to do next. He's sick of standing in the spotlight by himself. And, and this is a period covered in Don't Look Back. Mm-hmm. So you can see how full he is of self-loathing. He hates doing press interviews. He really seems miserable. He seems to be in a hurry to get off stage as if he was singing the lines of someone else. Um, and, and at this point, after the UK shows are over, he tells his manager, I'm, I'm done with the singing song. I'm going to go to Woodstock and just relax. I'm not even going to bring my guitar. He's going to paint and write a novel. He's there for a couple of days when... He's possessed by this familiar feeling, with, you know, feeling he refers to as the ghost. And so he just gets out a piece of paper. It's the itch of unwritten words is how he later described it. So he gets out a pencil and a pad of paper and just starts to scribble. His hand doesn't stop moving for the next several hours. He describes it as just this vomit of associations coming out of him. And he's, he's just writing down what, what's, what this ghost is giving him. And then at some point within those 25 pages of of free associations, those 25 pages of just words, he's just scribbling down without even stopping. He finds the lyrics to Like a Rolling Stone, uh, perhaps one of the most influential songs in rock and roll history. Mm -hmm. Six minutes of raw music that revolutionized rock and roll. And, and, and they came in this moment of insight. They, they, They came from this freewheeling set of associations that he was just taking... You know, he was listening to the ghosts, trying to get out of the way. And, and for me, it's a wonderful story of a moment of insight, in, in part just because here's the song, one of the best songs ever written. And, and it came when Dylan all of a sudden felt free to just listen to the ghost. But then he also tells us something interesting about the importance of being stumped and frustrated. Then in a sense, what freed Dylan to write Like a Rolling Stone was the fact that he quit the music business, that he had no idea how to reinvent himself, how to escape the trap of being a folky. Um, of, you know, he wanted to write a different kind of song. He wanted to tap into that thin, wild Mercury music. Um, but, but he didn't know how to get there. And it was only when he was alone in Woodstock, gave himself a couple days to decompress, that, that he wrote the song that changed rock and roll history. Uh, well, number one, because the ghost and holy things do live in Woodstock. So he was <laughs> that helped. But you don't mind using the metaphors, even though you don't believe in them right you think yeah as think, a metaphor it's i think fine. i think these are metaphors and yeah. i think you know uh you know these are the metaphors that bob dylan himself used so, right so so i don't want to take away from his story this is he he describes it as a yeah. ghost invading him i think what the science can do is then come along and show us how the ghost happens in our brain um what's happening exactly inside your head in the seconds before you have a moment of insight and 
how we can make them more likely to happen. It's one it of my out- yeah. It's one of my favorite things that you say. Aggravation and hitting that wall is a good thing. Yeah, and we kind of learn in school that that's a bad place. Don't go to a negative yeah. place. And you're saying just the opposite. You have to embrace the rut. You have to embrace being stumped because what what that feeling and it's a horrible feeling. It's so frustrating. What it's telling you is you need a moment of insight. You need one of these big breakthroughs. And and even though I think most people assume that when you need a big breakthrough, that what they should do is you know chug a triple espresso, chain themselves to their desk, focus, focus, focus. That turns out to be exactly backwards. Instead, when you are stumped, when you are frustrated, what the science says is you actually need to find a way to relax. You need to leave the office, take a hot shower, go for a walk, go to Woodstock, go on vacation, that the answer will only arrive after you stop searching for it. There's this great line of Einstein's that creativity is the residue of wasted time. Mm. And, and you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, that when you need a moment of insight, you need to make time to waste time. That, and that's what Bob Dylan discovered. He went to Woodstock, not with the intent of writing like a Rolling Stone, of course. He just went to paint. And, and yet I think that freed him to write the, one of the best songs he'd ever write. And also take his music in a whole different way. I mean, he Absolutely. suddenly... You know, and also there, you know, and you bring this up at different places, but up at Woodstock at the time were so many other great players. He's hanging out with the band and he's mentoring and also learning from them. And you bring up a point of genius happens in clusters. Yeah. Which I think is phenomenal because how many times I'll go back to music, you hear about the Liverpool scene or the San Francisco scene, Manchester, Seattle. We see this time after time where all this great music will happen at the same time. And you say that's also science working. Absolutely. You know, this this is a recurring pattern in history. So, like, even William Shakespeare is like, mm-hmm. you know, in my pantheon, maybe one of the only writers who might exceed Bob Dylan. I'm a Dylan freak. I'm a huge mm-hmm. Dylan fan. Um, but Shakespeare didn't exist by himself. He was surrounded by lots of other geniuses, Christopher Marlowe, John Donne, Francis Bacon. And, and that was an essential part of what allowed Shakespeare to become Shakespeare, that, that he stole their lines, he fed off them. And this is something you see again and again with geniuses. So like even Bob Dylan talks about his creative process as being one of love and theft. You fall in love with a line, you fall in love with a melody, and then you steal it and make it your own. You reinvent it. And Shakespeare did the same thing. Shakespeare stole almost all his plots, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth. These were all stories he got from somewhere else, and, and, then he, and then he made them his own. And so I think being surrounded by lots of other talented people makes it easier to steal the good stuff and reinvent it. Um, and, and, that's, and that's a theme you see you know, in genius after genius. Um, you know, the other model I love that, that I think one can get from singing and songwriting is – you know, the notion of the right way to collaborate. You think about like Lennon and McCartney and I happen to love mm-hmm. Wings and love Lennon's solo stuff, but there is something undeniably magical about what those guys did as yeah. the Beatles. And I think the secret to the Beatles is the fact that they were just so critical of each other. They were so harsh. They were brutal. They practiced what Steve Jobs called brutal honesty. Mm-hmm. And and I think in this day and age, we assume that, you know, when you're in a creative collaboration, you want to be nice and we all want to brainstorm. And, of course, the first rule of brainstorming is don't criticize, that all ideas are good ideas. The imagination is all meek and shy and easy to intimidate. But that turns out to be wrong. Brainstorming doesn't work. Study after study shows that brainstorming is a terrible idea, that groups that engage in debate and dissent are much more creative than those that engage in brainstorming. So constructive criticism is an essential part of creative collaboration. And, and that to me is one of the big lessons of the Beatles, that here were guys who weren't afraid to say, John, that song sucks. Paul, you can do better. George, come on. Right. Do better. And, and, and that's, I think, part of their secret. That's why as much as I love, you know, 
they were very competitive with each other and also other bands. I exactly. mean, they really, because you don't really hear it in their music, but they were really out to beat other bands all the time. Well, just look at their... They were so competitive with Dylan. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean that was both sides. Mm-hmm. They, they, they all wanted to... They all, they all wanted to reinvent rock music. So that... Keeping people together. And you, you make points for urban living yeah. in the book as well. And what works out about living in a city? How does that help people? Well, the secret of cities is, is just we're surrounded by other people. We are we are living in these spaces that force us to mix and mingle. And that's when we're exposed to lots of new ideas. So I actually begin the chapter on cities by talking to David Byrne of late of the Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. He's gone on to do, obviously, such influential stuff with Brian Eno and, and just one of the most creative guys you will ever meet, um, an astonishing guy. Um, and, and he talks about, you know, the sound of the new wave, the sound that, that would become the talking heads, really just came because he was living in you know, the Lower East Side and downtown and kind of bumping into these various noises. So after a performance at CBGB, he'd go bike around to unwind and listen to these Latin jazz clubs and, and just couldn't help but bump into Nigerian music. And, and he, he wanted to combine that sound of the city, the polyglot sound of the city, combine it in his own music. So in a sense, th- that's that's the virtue of the city in a microcosm, that mm. the city exposes us to, to, to so many weird ideas, to the strange and the curious and the bizarre, and we can't help but combine that in our head. Um, and and th- this is why, you know, urbanization is the great theme of the 21st century, why more people are going to move to cities in the next 100 years and have moved to cities in all of human history, because even in this age of Skype and email and FaceTime and all the rest, we still get smart being around other smart people. Right. We we still have new ideas when we are immersed in the ideas of others. That that it really is all about the human friction. It is really happening now, of course, Brooklyn. And there wasn't a, a, that long ago that nobody would live in Brooklyn. But it's all young people who said, no matter what happens, I want to live yeah. in a city. No matter what the prices are, what the expenses. You, you want to you be around the pulse. You want to be around the cool kids. Yeah. And then they're also creating their own new music and new scene. And a lot of that takes heat from conservative outsiders. You know, people look at that because obviously when you're breaking rules, you're not staying in traditions. It scares people. It's Dylan going electric, right? Yeah. It It, happens over and over. People are going to scream at you, Judas. Right. You know, they're they're, going to be upset. Um, Um, But, you know, when you brought up David Byrne, that period in New York where not only was CBGB's happening, but Basquiat and Keith Haring, and, yeah. and then also stand-up was blowing up uptown. Totally, and he talks about hanging out with Warhol and abstract expressionists right. and trying to combine all these ideas. So on the one hand, you got these Latin dance clubs, and then combining that with Warhol's factory, and like, mm-hmm. of course something interesting is going to come out of that combination. But it was like the least comfortable time to live in New York. Yeah. New York was a yeah. completely dangerous place. Yeah. I mean, you could live cheaper... But when those guys left the house, they were taking their life in their hands. But but I think that's why, like, you know, it's not about Soho anymore. Soho's mm-hmm. become a mall. Now it's about Brooklyn. And then right. Brooklyn will become too expensive and they'll move to Queens. Then it'll be the Bronx. It's, it's like, you know, Jane Jacobs, the urban theorist, has this great line about new ideas come from old buildings. What she was really meant is that you need cheap rents, that, that the kids doing the interesting stuff can't afford to live in a Soho townhouse. Right. They, they need to live on the outskirts. Um, because they need spaces that are cheap and big where they can put their gear, they can tear down walls. You know, no one's buying their records yet because they're too new, they're too avant garde. And so they need the cheap spaces. And then one day they'll, you know, 
make lots of money and and buy the house on the hill. See, the interesting thing about this though is like you're giving us rules, but at the same time explaining that creativity was going to find a way anyway. That things are going to change. Yeah. No matter even how bad things are, that certain people, maybe yeah. it's coming from the young, will find a way. Absolutely. Um, you know, creativity is just an essential part of human nature. We can't help but connect old ideas in new ways. This is just who we are. Uh, and, and that's why I think it's important to kind of, you know, realize that the myth of the muses is just that. It's a metaphor. It's a lovely metaphor. But, but you know, creativity is embedded very deep in our programming code. Um, and, 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 and this is, I think, part of the virtue of youth. Um, mm-hmm. You know, young people, they really are more creative. So this guy, Dean Simonton at UC Davis, he's come up with all these curves showing peak age of creativity. And it, it differs depending on the field. So poets peak in their early 30s, physicists at the same time, biologists, late 30s, novelists, early 40s. And these curves are pretty sad when you look at them because you see this like early spike and mm-hmm. a slow downward trend for the rest of their life. And you're like, oh, man, that's depressing. And for a long time, people assumed that there was something inevitable about this decline in creativity over time. But... Now they believe it's really a byproduct of what they call enculturation, that people just become invested in the status quo, that they get used to a familiar way of doing things. They develop a set of assumptions and habits, and that makes life easier, but it makes it harder to think outside the box. And so when you look at people who stay creative across their entire career, people like Dylan, mm-hmm. people like you know Picasso, people like you know the mathematician Paul Erdos or Steve Jobs, it's because they're always risking reinvention. They're always trying to write a new kind of song, paint a new kind of painting. They're always challenging themselves to move into something completely new and that makes life difficult it pisses off the fans but it does help them stay creative you know for their entire life so comfort is an enemy almost for a creative person the last thing you want to do is the stuff that you were successful with years before and some bands go back to music they're ready to just go out and become a nostalgia act yeah uh you're not if you're a dylan fan you there's may, no yeah. yeah. There's very little nostalgia there. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a lot of people still leave mad, like, yeah. "Hey, he never got off the piano all night." Yeah. yeah. Or you know, or, or, I, or I like, didn't even know he that. Did, was... He didn't play "Blown in the Wind" like yeah. I wanted to play "Blown in the Wind." He played a new version. Yeah. Exactly. Well, but my favorite part of Dylan concerts, and I've seen dozens of Dylan shows, yeah. is like the first five seconds of every song when everyone's like, what song is this? What song is he playing? And you hear like the hushed whispers in the audience. Right. Like, oh, I figured it out. It's Tangled Up in Blue. <laughs> yeah, um, that's happened like, to me yeah. before. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's why the guy is still creating great records at, you know, at, at, at his age. Because well, he's always reinventing himself. There is not a nostalgic bone in his body. See, there's another part of our tradition, and th- to tie in with this, is that when we see 40 coming over the horizon to feel this panic that it's already done, that everything that we've done, yeah. and yet you may have another 40, 50 yeah. years left on the planet. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there is this, there was this really depressing belief among scientists that like the imagination was a bit like long-term memory, that we know our memory gets worse as we get older, and maybe mm-hmm. the imagination just disintegrated with time. That's not the case. Now people really believe that you can stay creative across your entire career as long as you keep on challenging yourself, as long as you keep on forcing yourself to try new things, to write new kinds of songs, to experiment with new kinds of science problems, that that the loss of creativity is not inevitable at all. I was actually reading about a lot of people, older people, who've been retiring in college towns because it's cheaper and there's plenty of cheap culture there. And you can run into folks... That long after uh, you would think that their time 
of learning and having fun. Yeah. And it's still, they keep it alive. But you meet other people the same age who are watching Jeopardy and, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, no. And, and you said it perfectly before, like comfort is the enemy of creativity. Mm. Whether it's like being in a brainstorming meeting, that's going to feel comfortable and more fun because there's no criticism allowed. We're all here together. Yeah, yeah, we're all here together. All ideas are good ideas, but it yeah. doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, and how many brainstorming sessions do you think took place in companies across the nation today? It, it is the most widely implemented creativity technique of all time. And yet scientists have known it doesn't work for 60-some-odd years. Um, it makes us less than the sum of our parts. Um, but, but it does make us feel good. You can look at, like, Brian Utzi. This, uh, he's a scientist at Northwestern. He studied Broadway musicals and tried to figure out, like, what's the ideal template for a creative collaboration in a musical? Because musicals are, by definition, they involve different artists coming together. So it's a librettist, a lyricist, a choreographer, a director, taking notes from producers and so on. And what he found is that even within these kinds of collaborations, you want some, some level of discomfort. You don't want people to just work with their best friends. That if people are too comfortable, they'll just do more of the same old, same old. So you always want a couple fresh voices in the room. And his favorite example is West Side Story, which is, you know, Jerome Robbins, Arthur Lorenz, Leonard Bernstein, three guys who had worked together many times before. They're all good buddies. But they knew they needed a fresh voice, a fresh lyricist, someone who had no experience. And so they found this 25-year-old. Their producers thought they were crazy, right, because this guy had no experience. His name was Stephen Sondheim. Mm. So you always want that fresh voice in the room, if only because they're going to make you all a little bit uncomfortable. They're going to fill the room with surprises. And it's those surprises that, that lead us somewhere interesting. Do you see that I know so many companies are trying to manage creativity now. Take Google or Apple or whatever. Mm. Are they doing a much better job than the old corporations? Or Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I think... Companies get a lot wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this guy, Jeffrey West, who I talked to in the book, he's a theoretical physicist at the Santa Fe Institute. And um, he points out that you can look at cities and companies. And from a certain perspective, they look very similar, right? They're both big clusters of people in a fixed physical space, lots of infrastructure. But cities and companies exhibit one very interesting difference, which is that cities never die. Cities are immortal. They live forever. And companies die all the time. That you can nuke a city, comes back, flood a city, comes back. Mm -hmm. Devastating earthquakes, still San Francisco. The average lifespan of a Fortune 100 company is 45 years. Only two companies in the original Dow Jones Index are still around. So companies are so fragile. And he's like, what's the difference? Why, why are cities indestructible and immortal and companies so fragile and fleeting? And he takes in huge chunks of data. And what he's found is that as cities get bigger, everyone in that city becomes more creative, that they invent more patents, more trademarks, they make more money. And that's because cities force us to mix and mingle. And, and that kind of human friction, those bumps, that's really good for us, that those mm. bumps lead to new ideas. Uh, companies, on the other hand, as they get bigger, they become less productive per capita. So fewer patents per employee, fewer trademarks per employee. And over time, this becomes very dangerous, right? Because Wall Street's saying, get bigger, grow the bottom line. And so you hire all these workers, you get this expensive bureaucracy, but you're no longer innovating at the same rate. And so then you become more reliant on old ideas. Those old ideas don't work anymore. Then you're going to buy up new companies for your new ideas. Sometimes acquisitions don't work out. And that's when you go belly up. And Wes' argument about what's the, what explains this difference between cities and companies is simple, that cities don't get in the way. Cities are just these freewheeling, chaotic places. A mayor can't tell you where to live or who to talk to or what to work on. You just go about your business, having conversations on the sidewalk while waiting in line for a latte. 
Companies, on the other hand, they get in the way. They try to micromanage it. They tell you who to talk to. They, they tell you to brainstorm. They, they tell you which problems to work on. They, they stifle horizontal interactions and become these very vertical, bureaucratic places. They silo knowledge. They do all these things that hold us back. So West's advice is simple. When in doubt, imitate the city. Mm. Um, and and that's I, I think the most creative companies, whether it's you know Apple or 3M or Pixar, um, some of those places I talk about in in the book, I think they are more city like. They do a better job of imitating the magic you see in Brooklyn or mm. you saw in downtown Manhattan in the seventies, or or you know or you see in any effective urban space. Uh, if you could, if people are out there listening right now, if you could only give them one idea, one idea before they pick up the book, what would you say to folks? You know, probably, probably the best way for me to describe that is just how writing this book has changed my creative process. And, and I used to have this, this puritanical notion that when I was stuck or stumped, I didn't know how to finish a sentence or start an article, that I just chug caffeine and, and just force myself to push on through. And then, of course, you wake up in the morning and you realize your fixes didn't fix anything, and now you just hung over on, on mm. coffee. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and then I read all this research on the importance of you know, being, being relaxed when you need a moment of insight. And so now when I'm stuck in something, I'm much more likely to just take a hike and, and leave, my, leave my smartphone behind to let yeah. myself daydream. Um, and, and in a sense, I love this research because it's a great justification for laziness. Uh, so that's my mm-hmm. favorite kind of science. But, but I think it does it, – it really has changed the way I work every single day. Uh, Imagine is the book, How Creativity Works. I think the other interesting thing, too, Jonah, is no one gets to work in jobs anymore that creativity isn't part of it. You know, We don't have the Absolutely. same kind of industry that our parents grew up with. So you are expected to – give ideas all the yeah. time uh imagine the book it's available jonah lair thanks so much for stopping by man thank you and uh, i'll see you next time through look forward to it once upon a time you dressed so fine do the bumps of dime in your prime then you Say beware, doll, you're bound to fall You thought they were all Kidding you You used to Laugh about Everybody that was Hanging out Now you don't Talk so loud Now you don't Seem so proud About having to be scrounging your next meal. How does it feel? How does it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a road. But you know you only used to get juiced in it. Nobody's 
ever taught you how to live out on the street And now you're gonna have to get used to it You say you never compromise With a mystery tramp But now you realize He's not selling any alibis As you stare into the vacuum of his eyes Secrets to conceal 